0: Well, hello there, dead and lovely listeners, and welcome to your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast, why it's dead and lovely, here with the host with the most, isn't it? It's your good buddy, Uncle Ben.
1: And it's me, Hollywood Steve from France. <laughs> oh,
0: we're going international, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, a, I'm an American werewolf. In Paris. Oh wow, the sequel, huh? Yeah, I've never seen it. I never
0: have either, but I've heard that it's very bad. I bet it is. <laughs> when we are, are, of course, doing this on a uh, on old Skype call again, as we are in week number two of self quarantine. Yeah, we'll have to stop. Ha, ha, ha. We'll have to stop
1: counting those weeks pretty soon because people won't want to hear that number. <laughs> Let's just not remind right. ourselves.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is some uh this is some weird times to be alive, man. Yeah. Very, very, very strange stuff. I hope that everybody that's out there listening is uh taking our lead here and following our example yeah, please.
1: and stay in the fuck home. Mm-hmm. It just takes one asshole to fuck it up for a lot of people. So don't be that asshole. Because yeah. as a reminder, you can have it. And not fucking know. For two so weeks, just please.
0: Just the safe side. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. Yeah, it's a crazy time, dude, but I've actually been staying really freaking busy because this has just been a great time for me to hole up and practice and work on music and make YouTube videos and podcasts and all the other stuff that we uh, we just usually kind of do. But I'll tell you the one big thing that has changed for me this week, and this is one of those scenarios where I'm just, man, on, on the hour every hour, I'm looking up at the skies and going... I curse you, Lord. I curse you, Father. Why me? Okay. The gym closed. <laughs> dude, I wait I wait 35 years yeah. to join a fucking gym for I the know. first time and within like 6 weeks, 8 weeks, whenever it is, yeah. now the gyms are closed. Yeah. Fuck me. Why is my life got to be so
1: I hard? I don't know, Steve? dude. It's it's real real rough on me. Like uh the the hard part is not uh duplicating weight training i can do that the hard part is getting cardio because uh as i've said before if you've heard every episode of this show you probably tired of hearing it i have two herniated discs in my neck if somebody out there wants to buy hollywood steve a rowing machine go for it i would love that <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good thing right there man. uh yeah that does kind of suck have, yeah. have you been like a? finding ways to work out at home? Uh, like As I said, yeah, I can do bodyweight exercises. Well, dude, the thing is, is once the rioting starts, you're going to be able to go out in the streets and flip so many cars. Yeah. Like, you're going to be walking yeah. by and riders are going to be flipping <laughs> cars and you're going to be like, let me get on the engine side. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I've been training for this moment my whole my life. My whole life.
1: Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's, it's driving me nuts.
0: Man, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. And it's one of those situations where I'm like, what fucking reality have I woken up in, like, Suddenly I'm the guy who's distressed about not being able to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah we've been doing some at home working out. Because yeah, yeah, that's the problem too, dude. It's like this is the first time that I've ever been in a gym, like I said. And yeah. After doing this for about eight weeks or so, it's like now I'm just starting to see some results yeah. coming in, which is great. So you want to keep with it. Though. I want to keep going with it. Yeah. So we've been doing like some uh you know, like YouTube like Pilates exercises uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah, that stuff good. I got a couple of dumbbells here, yeah. and like you said, body weight stuff and all that. That always works, but yeah. Just gotta keep moving, man. Have you had time to watch anything while you've been all holed up in the
1: house, uh, man? I've had time, but like I, I've uh, I've just been working. I I've really just been putting on stuff I've already seen. I wanted to like I I wanted to get because I I was watching American Horror Story and I kind of fell off on it. Oh yeah, and I was just like you know I just want to go back and start at the beginning. I loved that first season. I just want to watch it and then just keep going maybe so i'm right at the end of the first season i'm at that episode that basically is useless the last episode where it's like okay the, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. oh you haven't oh, okay well the last episode could have been a like an email or something like <laughs> they could save some time
0: <laughs> but that first
1: season is so fucking good like i really watching through it this time was picking out the the writing and specifically the characterization and stuff and really seeing how like certain characters mirror each other and their paths like converge and then go in opposite directions and things and it's all so wonderfully done and i had forgotten that they mention or actually talk about pretty in depth the Uh, Roanoke Colony, which becomes the Season 6 setting. Oh yeah, that's right. That becomes a thing later on. I'm really digging that, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts while I do research. Oh yeah. And so I've been finding some new stuff, and I have to recommend this one. Really truly, if you're one of those Star Wars fans that uh, jumps on to the message boards to voice your displeasure all the time, this is not going to be the podcast for you. But (laughs) if you really love it, when... People give completely fresh takes on Star Wars. Check out Newcomers on HeadGum. It's hosted by Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer. Oh, she's great. Yeah, Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer, who are both fucking hilarious, and they have never seen Star Wars. So it is them watching each Star Wars movie and then giving their review of it. And they, every time they have a guest who is a big-time Star Wars fan. Oh, okay. Let me just say, as of this moment, Lauren Lapkus still thinks that Return of the Jedi is the best of, of the movies. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they hated A New Hope. <laughs> no. So th- this is why I love it, because it's such a fresh take on Star Wars. These are people who have never seen it, but have been immersed in all this Star Wars-like referencing and stuff i'd say that's good though because they're both very entertaining oh yeah they're yeah, both super like really entertaining their guests out. are all great it's so funny and and seriously some of the reactions of the guests when they say stuff is exactly like your reaction just now where the guest is just like oh 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 <laughs> <How> <laughs> could you yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's awesome I listen man. to that and i've gone back to a podcast that uh i love but just forget about sometimes it's been around since like 2006 or something Stop podcasting yourself. It's I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's a Canadian podcast. It's awesome. Just if you if you are interested in a new podcast that's funny uh, and might remind you somewhat of our podcast, the the two hosts are uh, similar in some ways. I would think I, go extremely to, handsome. Extremely handsome. Exactly, and just the average <laughs> of dicks. Just oh, right so they in are the very middle. much like us then. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. anyway stop podcasting yourself go and listen to an episode with paul f tompkins i think it's the best introduction because paul f tompkins is one of the funniest people in the world and one of the best podcast guests out there uh just go listen to an episode with paul f tompkins you'll be hooked immediately and want to listen to all 630 episodes so holy shit that is a lot yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot. They've been Damn. around a long time. I love getting time. into stuff like that, though. We're like, they've got a huge yeah, back catalog exactly. that you're like, it'll be years before yeah. I catch up. So, yeah, I've just been listening to a podcast. What about
0: you? So, I actually have had time to watch some stuff. Uh, obviously, we're not, you know, going out and hanging out with friends or anything like that. So, we've been doing a little bit of movie watching. I'm going to lead with one that is on topic because it is a horror film oh, shit. that we watched the other night. We did the $20 rental and watched Invisible
1: Man. Okay. So,. From what I know about this movie, it's about Elizabeth Moss and nobody else. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Sweet. That's it. That's the
0: movie. Spoilers. Okay. Um, I'd like to do a mini sode on it sometime. If you if you get time to like watch it, maybe we yeah. can pop one in the middle of the week and do like a little yeah, you know, short review of it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. I'll tell you what, like, without spoiling it or anything like that, it had some good stuff in it, and then the good stuff stopped happening.
1: Oh. Yeah. I've heard some. i heard some good and I've heard some not so good. It depends. I mean, I'll be honest with you. We uh, oftentimes disagree on movies, so I'll take that with a grain of salt. But oftentimes we agree on movies. So at the end, I might just end up saying the same thing. I think that you probably <laughs> will, honestly. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, the thing that worried me was the preview seemed to give it all away, right?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Little
1: bit, yeah, yeah. And,
0: and dude, wow. a lot of the effects and stuff are just really shitty, like, especially really, yeah, like, whenever it gets to the parts with you know, when it shows the invisible man going invisible, it yeah. looks way worse than Predator, which came out like a million years ago. Like, Predator huh. looks so much better. I didn't, I didn't love it, of course. Uh, Moss is still a really great actress, she's fantastic, but yeah, I but wish it's... the movie could have been better. So, maybe if you get time to scope that one out, we'll do ourselves a review yeah. on that one we also watched bohemian rhapsody finally oh yeah with with the queen with the queen and i gotta tell mm-hmm. you what it wasn't that great i
1: think this is one of the most overhyped movies uh ever that's what, that's what i heard though from most everybody
0: really like See, i talked to a ton like, of people that were like oh i loved it it's so fucking perfect it's amazing huh hmm were they old people they were old people yeah old people don't know what they're they are they don't know about. what they're talking about anyway <laughs> no nah, it wasn't great man like I, I will say like in the good column the casting was absolutely unbelievable uh remy what's his name malik is that the guy that played freddy yeah rami malik yeah uh-huh. his personification of freddy and just the way that he embodied even his physical actions and stuff like that was absolutely insane i mean it yeah, was he looked eerie. great
1: yeah the, yeah the stills i saw of it he
0: looked he looked great and like the the dude that played Brian May looked so much mm-hmm. like Brian May, he was fantastic. And the other guys in the okay. band, every everybody casting wise was really great. But honestly, it's just kind of a boring story. It's one of those things yeah. that you know the the end impression I was left with is the reason this is hailed as a good movie, and the reason this got made is because of how much we love Queen and how much we hate to have seen the end of Freddie Mercury and stuff. But if somebody yeah. just wrote this story about a band that wasn't real.
1: And they were just like yeah
0: it would never have gotten made because it's just not that
1: exciting Mm -hmm. of a
0: story yeah
1: yeah i i can see that there i mean because it's a i mean there's there's a lot to freddie mercury's story that says a lot about the 80s and the early aids epidemic and, and stuff like that like that that would i would think be the focus right not much no? Not really. See, that's the, that's the one interesting bit you could really pull out of it. Yeah. Why would they now focus on that? I don't know. That's one of those things. That
0: I don't know whose decision it was to snip a lot of that out. I don't know if it was the band's decision to be like, we don't want Freddie's life to have just been about AIDS. We want it to be about the music that he made and the history of this band. I don't yeah. know if it was just some producer being like, we don't want to make this overly political and you know hide the fact that like reagan let millions of people die during the aids epidemic like i don't i don't know but i would like to know along the lines like who decided that that shouldn't be a bigger part of this movie
1: yeah that's ridiculous
0: you know but i don't know i i I didn't i didn't love it. it there was definitely a part like about halfway through the movie where we were both just like okay there's a lot more to go in this movie where exactly is this going you know and it's so full of those like ridiculous you know that's not how that song was actually written moments where it's just like suddenly somebody has like this killer bass line and somebody just starts singing along with it and oh now we've got a it record like that shit doesn't happen like
1: that no that's how it happens ben that's how i've seen it in every single movie (laughs) so that's how it is right or or a singer is told sing a song and they immediately have a song that comes to mind (laughs) and they sing it and then everybody is just floored. What do
0: you know? The words and melody were right the first time. He did it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that we got around to watching this week, uh, Kate just totally randomly put it on one night after we had watched something else but she put on motherfucking Fight Club which I I haven't seen in forever. I bet it's probably been 10 years since I watched that movie. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: it still holds up. That movie is still absolutely yeah. fucking awesome, man. Yeah. I, I love that movie. I saw it in the theater back in the day. I've read the book, a big fan. It, I, I've seen it more recently too. And yeah, it does still hold up. It's oh, yeah. still a great movie. And in fact, it's probably more relevant now. Exactly. Than Th- it was back then. Yes. That's
0: very much the impression that I was getting while I was watching it, thinking about that stuff. And I don't think Mm -hmm. I realized just how much of that movie I have like committed to memory because that movie and that book were like super formative to me. I think that was one of those things that, you know, right when I was around 16 or 17, it's like I was finally getting out of the house and working a job and meeting people that I didn't just Mm -hmm. know through homeschool or church. And I started hanging around that devil loving woman of mine, (laughs) you know, reading things like fight club and choke and those early Chuck Palahniuk books that made, A huge huge impression on me I think I forgot how much of a critical part of my you know becoming who I am now that movie and book are you know
1: yeah no I I know that they were extremely formative for me because I I remember watching them as I was making the decision to drop out of college yeah and it was just like the right exact message (laughs) at the time like exactly what I needed right and it helped yeah
0: and it's interesting too to go back and watch that movie. You know, as as the years and stuff have gone by, especially like you said seeing the the writing on the wall of I think a lot of what male culture and stuff is today in terms of like yeah. How much that movie is about dealing with toxic masculinity and how yeah. the mindset of classic manhood has to evolve to exist in society today, you know? Yeah. I think those are things I didn't quite catch when I was, you know, whatever, 16 or 17 when I watched this, but now it yeah. is painfully obvious, and it's also just uh-huh. ridiculously obvious in thinking about, and let me ask you if you knew these people, how many people did you know that watched this movie and just completely
1: fucking missed the point and were like,
0: yeah, we're going to start a 95%. fight club too. <laughs>
1: yeah. 95% of the people who enjoyed it. Yeah, they enjoyed it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yep.
0: exactly. It was kind of like what we talked about, about, you know, the popularity of Cartman, where it's like, right. no, you're not supposed to like are, Cartman.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's supposed to be the the idiot. Like, he's the one we look at and go like, oh, God, like, that's the worst of humanity. And people are like, huh, yeah, I'm like Cartman. It's uh, It's like... It's like when the always uh, people like the actors from Always Sunny, I've heard them in interviews say when people come up to them and be like, "You guys are exactly like my group of friends." They're like, "Oh, oh no. no, oh fucking <laughs> yeah, like, no!" That is not what we're going for. You're you're supposed to be disgusted by us, not trying to emulate us.
0: <laughs> yeah, people really fucking missed the point on that one. I remember dudes like starting. Well, yeah, we're going to get together and fight in my basement. Or, like, we're going to do lie burns on ourselves and stuff. And it's like, dude, you are completely not watching the same fucking movie as me. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's way off. It still all holds right,
0: up, though, man. It's it's fantastic.
1: The the entire message at the end of that is we need to blow this all up. Yeah. Like, we need to get rid of it. We need to destroy it. We need to start over. Like, I, I just don't know how the message you pull out of it is... We should fight each other. Like, uh, it, I don't know. Like, there's just like every, every English class ever taught in college has the, uh, the hero in the class who at some point, uh, says like, do you really think the author thought all of this when he wrote it or whatever? And like this guy thinks he's a goddamn genius because he can't read subtext. It's the most interesting thing in the world that uh, people flaunt their idiocy, like oh, people yeah. really and, and think that it's a virtue and think everyone else should subscribe to that. Like, I, I just don't get it. If you if you can't read subtext, that doesn't make you better as a human. It makes you far worse. You can't understand what people might be trying to communicate to you other than the words they say yeah yeah and that's insane <laughs> to live a life where you just see the world as this flat 2d image that is easily interpretable it's only face it's, value. it's ridiculous yeah that, yeah, that, that has to be very boring to me you know yeah yeah, I, I would imagine that is a boring life, yeah. Well, kind of on a
0: similar topic. Geez, this time as I was watching it, I was watching it with the mindset of some, some like fan theories and stuff I read a long time ago that I wanted yeah. to see if they held water, and I think they really do, that okay. Ma- Marla is also a fragment of his imagination and a fragment of his personality. Um, of the course, one issue
1: I have with that yeah. is that she interacts with the guys that are part of Project Mayhem. She interacts with them, and they interact with her while they're also interacting with Ed Norton in the kitchen. Like, she's at the door, and he's in the kitchen. Right. And they're separately interacting. I'm sure
0: that you, there's probably scenes with Tyler Durden where you can say the same stuff, though.
1: But there aren't. That's the thing. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, is huh. there are no scenes like that with Tyler Durden. Yeah. There are no scenes where they, they interact separately. Mm-hmm. So... That, that seems to be, but I, I have, yeah, I, I like that theory because she seems to be, like, maybe a representation of, of uh his feminine side. Exactly right, yeah. That's what yeah. I get out of it as well. And at the yeah. end of the movie, it's him And maybe there's, like, a meaning there, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. especially
0: at the end of the movie, I mean, after he basically suicides Tyler, the masculine side of his personality, because he's yeah. watching how much damage that has inflicted on, on modern society, and then he, you know basically embraces the, the feminine aspect of his personality if you want to look at it that yeah. way
1: that is marla yeah and bl- and blows up the patriarchy essentially yeah 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 i th- I think the reading of that is great and maybe in the book it's actually that way it's I, since I read the book they, i'm dying to go back and read it again man yeah and maybe they fucked it up in the movie with just the that one interaction like they didn't catch it or in in the script it it was like they decided to abandon that that possibility but it it seems like the best reading that tyler and marla are just invented they're part of his brain they're they're the fighting parts of his brain right yeah
0: i think i think that i get that out of it man yeah
1: fucking awesome movie still holds up i recommend going back
0: and checking that one out again if you haven't seen it in a while but of course steve we're not just here to chit chat and shilly-shally about all these other movies. We're here to talk about... I love the shilly-shally. Yeah, well, of course, we all have a little shilly-shally here and there. <laughs> yeah. We're here to talk about A American Werewolf About London. That's the one. Yep. <laughs> which, of course, is a landmark werewolf feature. Now, this isn't, by any yeah. means, the first werewolf movie we've done on the show, but my no. God, this has got to be the best-looking werewolf we've ever encountered but of course there's a lot of other very successful and very unsuccessful werewolf designs that we've Mm -hmm. seen through horror movie history so steve i say before we get into the review ski here how about we take a little second and stop in at the preview palace welcome to the preview palace and let's talk about some werewolf designs from other movies and talk about how effective or not effective they are and maybe rate them on a scale of one to ten what do you think about that is that madness is that crazy that sounds fun to me yeah, sounds great. Right, let's kick it off here with one that we covered on the show a long time ago. What do you think about the Wolfman that we see in the Monster Squad? Yeah, we're the Monster Squad.
1: <laughs> All right, so good. You wanted to start with a one. <laughs> it's uh, not good. <laughs> yeah, it looks terrible. It looks like it looks like a cat face. He can't turn his head. It, uh, but the the body proportions are better than a lot because I, I think the Wolfman. If, if it's going to be the Wolfman from, like, Universal Studios, yeah. and that's what they were going for, the Wolfman has to look more man than wolf. So that was good, but the fact that he, he can't turn his head and also that the face is completely flat like the Wolfman, like... He has no that's snout, the one, yeah. Yeah, that's the one issue I kind of have. But also, if you're going to say that the wolf, like, like, biologically, the most sensible idea of a wolf man is the universal monsters basically just suddenly grows a bunch of hair but the the full transformation is what i think makes for a good looking werewolf yeah it's true and like i said it's a
0: very inarticulated
1: kind of headpiece and stuff
0: although he is the most anatomically
1: realistic in that he does have nars. true He's got them nards <laughs> and most of the werewolves we see wearing no pants and have no genitalia. So I'm going to give it a two
0: because it at least fits in that fun movie very well, where it's like if you had a full nah, on terrifying werewolf, like you have an American. Yeah, werewolf, that would have sucked. Whoa, it would have been Yeah, yeah because the, the kids couldn't shit. fight it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it would have scared the shit out of kids and stuff, too. So I'll give it a, a, yeah. a mercy point for fitting the movie because that also has like the most non terrifying
1: dracula ever in it too that's true the, but he he is also a dracula that uses guns and throws a grenade so <laughs> that's pretty much the coolest dracula, pretty cool as well. dracula
0: what do you think about the uh, the werewolf in silver bullet a stephen king flick
1: yeah okay so silver bullet uh silver bullet i believe the designs were by a rick baker's uh, student and considering the glut of werewolf movies in the it 80s, there are a lot. It looks better than a lot of them. It's okay. But in, yeah, in comparison to say two movies that came before it, The Howling and and uh, American Werewolf in London, it looks bad. It's not a great so, looking werewolf at all. Like
0: honestly, it yeah. looks more like. The face of it looks more like a bear or like if you've seen that thing yeah. of like the bears that have mange, you know, where some of their hair is mm-hmm. falling out yeah. and stuff. It yep. looks more that's, like yes, that. Yes, that's
1: a good comparison right
0: yeah, there. Yeah, it doesn't really look like a wolf <laughs> face or a dog, yeah. like a canine kind of thing at all to me. So yeah, that one's not yeah. very good. I'm
1: going to give it maybe, I'm going to say it's a three because it is better than Monster yeah, Squad. Yeah, that's what I would say. You know? It's about, a, it's about a three. It is better than Monster Squad and it looks more lupine, I would guess, but still not still not in the ballpark of other movies around now uh, now i actually haven't seen the howling so i can't comment on that i one. haven't seen it since i was a kid and i really don't feel comfortable commenting on it i looked at the werewolf and i remembered that the design was cool but like i mean it, it looks great honestly if you look at the pictures okay. I don't remember it in motion, though, so I can't really comment on it well and don't want to give it a rating. Well, but I'm not even going to look a at A Rick Baker design as well. Yeah, I'm not even going to look at a picture of it,
0: because I know we'll eventually do it on the show, and I yeah, want it to be will. a fresh mm-hmm. surprise for me whenever I see it. Okay, great. Yeah. What about another one that is a very, well, not beloved, but at least popular enough franchise that features vampires right. and werewolves? What do you think about an underworld werewolf? Or, or oh, man. what do they
1: call them in there? Lichens? Lichens, yeah. What do you think so about those? under underworld when they are costumed they look good they do when they're cgi werewolves not good they look like shit it's yeah. not good man that's yeah. one of
0: those series man that like i always think that i like the underworld movies and then but i watch them and i'm like these yeah. are
1: not good man especially that first there's,
0: one it's so boring
1: yeah it is all exposition it's the entire movie yeah. they are still providing exposition at the end of the movie because they were like don't worry we'll definitely get a sequel and they did, they got sequels, so like, they Dons were right, them. I guess. Yeah, it's it's not
0: very great, honestly, but no. yeah, like you said, whenever the costumed, you know, practical werewolves are on screen, they're pretty dope. They're extremely yeah. ripped, dude. These, these fucking uh-huh. werewolves are, I think, doing CrossFit maybe? They might be doing um, <laughs> step aerobics or chair aerobics.
1: I wonder like, like, when you see a ripped werewolf, like if a dog is super muscular they don't look like that (laughs) so it's going for humanoid muscles but everything else looks like a a wolf yeah i i just don't, don't i don't know i don't get why you choose to accentuate particular human muscles suddenly i guess to make them look more powerful well the thing but is like, is those, those movies are so fighty that it's kind of good to yeah. have like these like huge
0: powerful bodybuilder looking werewolves fighting yeah. with these vampires and stuff you know yeah, makes sense. They look like damn pro wrestlers or something. Yes, they do <laughs> so i'm gonna I'm gonna say that the underworld ones, okay, whenever they're practical. I'm gonna say it's about a six. the The faces yeah. aren't articulated. There's no like movement. No, there's no movement. There's no movement.
1: Yeah, I, I think maybe they just move their arms and stuff. But like, yeah, they they're not built to be the the motion uh, masks at all. So yeah. at the moment they're in motion, it's all CG. But I like the and design. Looks bad I, from like the first Underworld. I mean, that's the most recent one I've seen, and I remember the werewolves look really bad. <laughs> what are you going to rate that thing on a number scale I, I i think like a five or six is probably right yeah it, it's eh. right there in the middle it, it's good looking it, it obviously is good work but it, it also like you know it, it was never meant to be the primary look of the werewolf it was just supposed to be for moments where they were just standing there right yeah which is really less intimidating yeah <laughs> <laughs> if they can't move at you, it's like well, well, not scared.
0: How about we talk about another one that we've done on a wild card episode of the, uh, episode of the show? Let's talk about Harry Potter tree and the Prisoner uh-huh. of Ass Cabin.
1: That's a, I mean, it's a poor design. It's a skinny it ass good. werewolf, man. Yeah, like it just doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't think it. I guess maybe if you're considering, like, if you're trying, to, I, I, I don't know how much, like human anatomy stuff you want to throw in there but i guess if you're trying to stick with the material you have if you stretch out a human they're not going to remain as wide so they probably would look skinny okay yeah because maybe maybe that's what they were thinking yeah. yeah he's like taller and he's got longer limbs suddenly so maybe that's it maybe but like this is a magic world like yeah, it doesn't have to werewolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: and, and to me too, like he almost looks more like a like a starved coyote or something. Like yeah, a, a mm-hmm. thinner, emaciated thing more than like when you think yep. of a wolf, that's a
1: very sturdy creature, you know. Yeah. Do we ever get to see Fenrir Greyback as as a as a werewolf in the movies? Jeez, I don't even remember. I don't. I know that
0: they never even explain what the fuck he
1: is in in the books. He is far more intimidating and scary. Oh, and yeah. I really wanted like an intimidating, scary, like real werewolf. Cause I could then, like, if you compare and you say, like, okay, well, Remus Lupin isn't eating people when he's a werewolf. Like, mostly he's trying to hide out and be away from people. And then Greyback loves eating people, doesn't give a shit. So that might explain why one is skinny and one is big and intimidating. Okay, fair enough. That could be. Yeah. I'm gonna say that a, the design, the design looks like bad. A, it's like a four to me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that because it, it it's not as definitely not even as good as the CG in Underworld. So, right. yeah, another one that we have that's full CG are the are the wolves in the Twilight
0: series. We we've done the first Twilight as a wild card yeah. episode too. We didn't see they werewolves just, in that, but they just look like shitty CGI wolves. So that's not yeah, even really look, like a werewolf.
1: Yeah, they're they're just different colored regular wolves. With yeah, shitty CGI. I'm going to say, like, too bad CGI. Yeah, that's real tough because, like, they, they don't even try. No. They, like, it is more in line with the origination of the werewolf, which was the idea that a man would become a wolf, not a man wolf. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Like a shapeshifter. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does have that traditional bit to it, but the fact that they look so bad as just regular wolves, like, Come on. You could have made them, I, I don't know, maybe just get some footage of actual wolves. <laughs> show try that. that. Yeah, or maybe get an animal that, trainer to use some actual wolves on the set or whatever, yeah. right?
0: who knows? Now, one that I think this movie sort of influenced is the werewolves in the uh, segment that deals with the girls in Trick or Treat, because they're all practical, they, and it's all very uh-huh, cleverly they look shot. Like,
1: they, they, they do have a, a very similar look, too. As yeah. This. but yeah cleverly shot in the like dark and and quick sort of glimpses of them and stuff like that yeah it, it's really good and uh i also just i i think i might rate it higher just because i i like that twist totally right trick or treat that these these super cute uh like early 20s women are taking men out into the woods to tear them apart because they're werewolves (laughs) and i'll give it bonus points too because the transformation is cool they almost slip off their human
0: skin like it was just like a suit and you got this nasty Mm -hmm. wet disgusting fur all covered in blood and stuff underneath yeah cool ass transformation And, and again all practical there's no cgi in that i'm gonna say those to me are like a. that's gonna be like a seven
1: yeah up there like six or seven for me sure yeah Let's go with something yeah, a little definitely con- better kinder in the underworld. So. Kinder and gentler. What do you think about a teen wolf in that design? Okay. So, the thing about the teen wolf design is it's definitely going for Wolf Man. And th- you see Michael J. Fox in the makeup in action a lot. Yeah. Yeah. As it's well full as movement. T- yeah. As well as stunt performers in, in the suit a lot. And it always looks good. Now, does it have the ferocious appearance of any of the others no but it's not supposed to yeah it's not meant to be supposed to be
0: a fun movie I think it it succeeds in what it needed to do for the flick yeah it really
1: does a good job there and obviously whoever was doing the makeup had had come up with some real smart ideas to make it work the way it does because he talks and it it looks good like he's able to do a lot with facial expression still even with the makeup on so I I think it was a good makeup job well how are you going to rate that thing uh, uh, still, I'd say that's like a like a six because with it, it's effective in, in its genre for sure. Yep. Worked for the movie. That's where I'm going to put it too.
0: Do you consider the wolfman scene in Bram Stoker's Dracula to be a werewolf or is that a shape-shifting nah, thing? It's a
1: shape-shifting, but it looks awesome.
0: It looks so sick. I love that it has yeah. bat
1: characteristics. Like Everything yeah. that he does has yeah. that
0: weird bat nose and stuff yeah he almost looks more like a that gorilla awesome. than anything
1: true yeah and uh the description of it in the book is is really good like yeah. the way that the 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 dog is just or it, it is really described as like a creature that resembles like this big black dog but still not that and that, that is the cool thing about it is that it's like this just in between all these different things it's so impossible to define and that's what makes it scary yeah, yeah. Now,
0: one we did recently on the show is old Ginger Snaps.
1: Oh, yeah. And Ginger Snaps is one that does a good job of showing like transition moments. Exactly. Like, she looks yeah. like it's like a slow transition, though. But we get to see each of the stages of the transition for long periods of time, which makes that cool. And then when she's the full wolf, it is. Also not fully articulated, but it, they do it. They shoot it well. Yeah, so and it, I don't
0: even think that's like her final form because she still has. Yeah, like she's still in the middle. Of it. Characteristics, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think in that movie, the cool thing is is that we never even get to see full blown wolf. Right. We get to see this true in between like. She is turning into a wolf, but she's not there yet, and she's still very yeah. human. You know, I mean, it has a
1: boob, for crying out loud. That's true, and and dogs don't tend to have uh, nipples up on their chest. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a pretty cool design, actually. Like you said, I like to see
0: that we get to spend so much time with all the different phases of transformation. So I think yeah. I'll probably give that one
1: probably, a, I'm going to say a six and a half. Yeah, I'd say seven, six and a half, seven. It's up there. It's, it's real good, especially for the time. There's two that you've seen that I've not
0: seen here that you wanted to talk about. Wolf Cop yeah. and Late Phases. Okay, you s- you yes. sent me a picture of the Late
1: Phases werewolf and it looks yeah. weird as hell. It does. Late Phases is a really really good movie with a strong storytelling and good acting that has just a, a a werewolf design I can't deal with. It just looks wrong. It's just very look strange. it up. It, it's, it's real weird looking. But I still love the movie. So, I mean the design is and it it is all makeup and the there are a lot of different uh werewolves in it and I w- I would say like it like props to the the like execution. I don't like the design, but the execution is great in that movie. Fair enough. So, yeah. Like I I would say that one's up there like 6 or 7 too because even though the the werewolves look weird, like it's no it's I think it's similar to the howling in some ways, but also similar to the flat faced version of the werewolf. So it's like just the weird combo of dog and man, but it's a great movie worth checking out. Wolf cop though is an absolute treasure Yeah, and it's amazing. I love it. Love wolf cop so much. The design of it again is is probably more like a teen wolf design, but a little more like intimidating. But he's supposed to be the hero. So like he's not supposed to be scary. Okay, run right on. Pretty good yeah. design though. Yeah, it's great. I love I love Wolfcop. Everybody in the world needs to see Wolfcop. Right on. We'll have to check that yeah. one out
0: too. And of course, you know, one more I want to mention here that we've both seen and covered here on the show is, of course,
1: Dog Soldiers oh yeah dog soldiers was great i really loved the design of dog soldiers Uh, that design is cool they're like super tall they're very
0: elongated kind of like the the harry potter werewolf but they're not emaciated
1: like they're pretty jacked and they're well they're well acted physically like they they really look uh they look the way they would move like they had dancers in the costume. So these people are really focusing on their movement and the movements look scary because they look real. Yeah. They're crazy agile. Yeah. I just really love that design. I mean, I think um, that's all practical. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, I mean, they did a good job again. Like as I said, Rick Baker was in a different world in this movie because he's showing things in pure light, like lingering shots. There are some shots though in Dog Soldiers that do linger a bit on the costumes, and they it it holds up the value of the costume because you look at it and it's like, yeah, that looks great. Like, they do look. I good. don't see it, seams. Yeah,
0: the faces are not articulated, which no, I'll, not. I'll ding some points off for that. It is just they yeah. still. Facial mask that doesn't really move or anything, but it does look really cool. And again, they're shot very smart. Yes, they are, and they're intimidating and ferocious too, man. They look like something you would not want to fucking piss off, you know? Yeah, that one's definitely up there though. I'd say it's like an eight, probably. Maybe that's what I was gonna gonna say too. Yeah, Yeah, I think that that's an eight for me as well. I still don't think that we've yet to see like the absolute perfect epitome of werewolf design in a movie, like. We've not seen anybody put as much care into a werewolf as they have, say, you know, like the alien queen and Aliens, where you're just like, I
1: guess this is real. (laughs) I guess they found an alien and put it in a movie. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if it got paid scale or what. (laughs) I would love to see, like, somebody finally nail the articulation of the head along with the full body costume and the movements and everything. Because, again, like in the movie we're about to discuss, I'd say the movements of the wolf are an issue. Yeah, like, I think so, it, too. It is pretty much stationary. Yeah, yeah, and maybe there's one out there that does check
0: all these boxes and it's just one that, that we've we not just seen, haven't or, seen or discussed. Maybe. Yeah, we, we yeah. mentioned the Brotherhood of the Wolf is one that I saw a million years oh, yeah. ago and you, you haven't seen I need to seen. see that. Yeah. I can't remember what the thing in there looks like, honestly. I can't remember what they're like, uh, but I'm sure that there's some other ones that we didn't mention that you guys love, so be sure to leave us some comments and stuff on the facebook page the dead and lovely horror podcast facebook group let us know what your favorite cinematic werewolf is that we didn't mention on the show let's talk about the american werewolf about london
1: as it is called <laughs> that's it you get 19- all the prepositions 81. absolutely right all the articles 100 yeah i know i was homeschooled dude i know i'm right the Armenian <laughs> Werewolf and <in> Larn Darn. <laughs> That's the
0: one, man. I assume this is not the first time that you watch this flick, man. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie?
1: I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but this movie uh, is ingrained in my head. That means I saw it as a kid and it really affected me. Specifically the scenes between him and his friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as he slowly decomposes. Those are always stuck in my head, but like as never as like scary. Even yeah, though totally. like like even though the the makeup is really good, the moments are all funny. So I yeah, think there's like, a lot
0: of levity to it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of what stuck in my head was like that initial, like, oh no, a dead person, and then like, oh, but this is funny. Like, yeah, because it doesn't really
0: play it like, oh, no. this is also a zombie movie on the side or something like that. Right. Yeah. A- even though it is kind of <laughs> like kind a little older, bit. Man. Yeah. Now this so, is another one of those ones that I didn't see until I was like well into right. my well into my 20s and I think I think the first time that we watched it was probably with our friend Brandon Suttles. I'm, I want to say okay. this is one of the ones that he showed us. I might be wrong about OB that. LB Ran? LB Suttles, man. But mm-hmm. I remember this is one of those ones that I I figured I knew what it was about just based on the title and the cover and stuff, but right. then whenever we started watching the movie I'm like, "Oh, this is Way different tonally (laughs) than what I was expecting. Like I knew that this is one of those, you know, much beloved, one of the greatest werewolf movies ever made, and it's on every like top horror movie list ever. Mm -hmm. I really just expected it to be a horror movie, but it's so nicely comedic at times too. I was not anticipating that. But yeah, I remember the first time I watched it, I I loved it, man. And every other time that I watched it since I've been like, why don't I watch this movie more often?
1: That that is always my uh, reaction to it too each time I rewatch it I'm like I why don't I talk about this movie more often it really yeah. does something special uh in, in the way that it combines comedy and horror without yeah like without one undercutting the other which is what easily could happen uh I I think we should just look a little bit about like the history of comedy horror and mostly like the history of comedy horror up to this point was a comedy set in a horror setting. Yeah. Adam totally. Costello meet Dracula. Like that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cause that's the thing about this movie. It's easy to watch this and just based on not only the special effects, but the the tone and like you said, that combination of horror and comedy and stuff. It's hard to remember sometimes that this came out in nineteen eighty one. I mean, yeah. it was recently the 70s when this was made. You know? Yes. So we're it, we're this so is used a, to like horror comedies and stuff that we get nowadays, yeah. like Shaun of the Dead and all those other exactly. ones. This is a very like familiar genre to us, but you got to remember, if you sat down in 1981 to watch this and you were laughing and then also seeing brutal, over-the-top gore and suspenseful moments, this is a very new experience.
1: Yeah, and we definitely wouldn't have Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz without this movie because no. uh, Edgar Wright is a huge fan of this movie oh yeah it uh, was a big influence I, I mean, too on Sam Raimi yeah.
0: doing the Evil Dead movies and all that. exactly
1: well. yeah but uh th- this movie essentially what happened was John Landis had written this movie in 1969 he whoa got that's the, a long time ago yeah he got the idea while working on the movie Kelly's Heroes in Yugoslavia and he was being driven to a location and as they were driving the driver pointed out on the side of the road there were some gypsies having a funeral and they were performing a ritual to keep the dead man from rising out of the grave oh you wouldn't want that right exactly so John Landis uh, you know his driver was sort of presenting this as look at how stupid they are etc but uh, John Landis was kind of in his own mind, having to confront the idea of how, how he would handle the undead. Like, how would he confront that possibility and then, you know, potential reality? And he realized he couldn't. And so he started writing this character having to go through dealing with the undead. So this movie actually starts out as a movie about the undead, but it also brings in and incorporates the werewolf which as I've said before when I've talked about the undead that's something that I associate very much with undeath uh, because when people turn into the wolf they don't remember it they may as well be dead they have disappeared as an individual uh, mm, and yeah then, so like the these two things are really well associated but I think this is the first movie and maybe one of the few movies that combines the undead and werewolves in a way that isn't hokey or actiony
0: right yeah because like, it's not werewolf versus zombie or
1: anything like yeah, that. yeah werewolf versus vampire or anything yeah so it's not that it's these things are just being dealt with uh, these themes are being dealt with undeath and also this transformation theme simultaneously and it really was John Landis just being a young man in his early 20s dealing with you know becoming a man and becoming you know an adult that other people look to and trust it's like you know you know like do you kind of remember when people who didn't know you trusted you as an adult like I would say for most people responsibility kicked in yeah 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 for most people it's that first job you get that isn't working for somebody you're related to like -hmm. somebody is like okay uh, we're gonna have you serve tables you keep all of the money and then at the end of the night you give us the amount of money that people owed and you're walking around with $500 throughout the night and thinking like why do they trust me with this And (laughs) and it's just one of those like interesting moments where you start to recognize you're you're coming out of childhood and you're starting to be treated by the world as just anybody and then you have to deal with that you're no longer the special boy you're no longer getting special treatment but also like people are treating you like an adult like you probably always wanted as a kid so like early 20s are this real confrontational period i think and this is just john landis sort of working through that through this character and he got a ton of jobs off of this script but every everybody loved it because of the humor because of everything they loved the script so they were hiring him for stuff and whatnot but they all said this script couldn't be made because it's too much comedy and horror and too much horror and comedy. Well, I can
0: imagine that. I mean, like I said, in 81, this is ahead of its time. In 1969, this is unheard Wait,
1: of. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That would never happen. Yeah. So, it, it took him getting some success with, you know, stuff like Animal House, the Blues Brothers. He he got that sort of capital where he could then go and take that script and and get enough backing even though the the early on people were a little bit worried about how this was going to make money back he was yeah. able to get the backing to make this movie he'd always wanted to make and that he cared for and and really like worked to get made for over a decade so when you when you get this director who already knows what he's doing working on a script that he loved again you're gonna get a great product and in this case it's a it's an awesome horror movie that blends comedy in a way it's never happened up to this point so uh this movie ends up being extremely important but not talked about enough i don't think i don't think so either man and, and what's the deal with so
0: many of these amazing comedy writers and directors being able to pull off horror so well i mean we yeah, got rob reiner, yeah, reiner we just talked rob about reiner yeah, yeah we just talked about him on misery and then even yeah. Today we got Jordan Peele, obviously one of the funniest yeah, fucking Wright. dudes on earth.
1: Edgar Wright, same deal. Because Shaun of the Dead, as we said in our Shaun of the Dead episode, it plays well as a horror movie. He's yeah. It's just also a comedy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the connection is between these guys being able to make us laugh and scare the shit out
1: of us, you know? I I think what you have to recognize with writing is that comedy is the hardest to write. And if you're successful at writing comedy, you should be able to move pretty fluidly into other genres it certainly does look that way yeah i mean comedy in a lot of ways is about knowing character types and embracing them and subverting them simultaneously and knowing what is funny and subverting what is funny and going alternative routes that nobody would have thought of going like all of this goes into comedy when you put that mind onto another genre, you're probably going to get a good result. And I mean, we just named uh, a few examples, but there are tons of others of examples of people who were good at comedy moving into horror. And it, it Yeah, worked. no, you're right there. Uh, and one thing you said in particular that really stuck
0: out to me is those, Things where something is going in a certain direction and then it takes a turn. That is a a thing that's always very effective in comedy a lot of times. Yes. And even like when you think about the Key and Peele sketches, a lot of those are funny because it starts off one way and then Uh somewhere (laughs) towards the end, it ends up somewhere completely different.
1: Exactly. Nowhere near where you expected it to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And a lot of times that's what's effective in horror as well. So I guess that there is a little bit of a connection there between uh, horror and comedy that are both being very well done by some of these directors, you know? Yeah.
1: And I mean, John Landis had already done something a little. I mean, comedy had been doing this before, but he really combined the action sequences into comedy with the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's full of like that long car chase and all those crashes and stuff, which then you see sort of enacted here in Piccadilly Circus.
0: But, of course, this isn't just a John Landis movie. When you think about American Werewolf, you think of it as a John Landis and Rick Baker production. Because, oh, obviously, Rick Baker's effects are a cornerstone of this flick. Yeah. And I guess at this point, Baker had already signed on to do The Howling, right?
1: Yeah, okay, so John Landis had been working with Rick Baker, like, on his script idea for a couple of years and basically gotten rick baker to do a bunch of designs and stuff and then rick baker got hired to do the howling and john landis of course was like you know worried that the design on the howling would end up just being the design that was originally for american werewolf in london and eventually convinced rick baker to uh to basically leave uh one of his students in charge of the howling with his designs and to come and work on american werewolf in london exclusively so the howling in american werewolf in london are both rick baker designs uh american werewolf in london is a rick baker execution <laughs> so wow like, yeah yeah that's and, a and then song. he also he also did the Wolfman in 2010 so rick baker has done some werewolf movies. <laughs> yeah no doubt man apparently
0: there's also a little bit of a a kerfluffle, I guess between Landis and Baker because Landis yeah. wanted this to be a bipedal wolf yes. that walks like a man and Baker was like it
1: needs to be on an all fours primal actually it was the other way other way around oh and okay. that's why that's why the howling vampire or the howling werewolf is bipedal because that oh. was more of what Rick Baker wanted to do but he didn't get to execute that he worked on John Landis's movie. Wow. And the yeah. special
0: effects in this turned out obviously absolutely so incredible that they ended up changing the entire music video industry. <laughs> <laughs> that is because true. Because it's Michael Jackson's love of this movie yes. that inspired him to get basically the entire crew from this yep, movie. John
1: Landis, Rick Baker, all on, on Thriller.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. that's also too, isn't it crazy to think that at that time Michael Jackson's career was at a point where he's like, huh, I like the entire crew crew of people that made this movie I should get them to make my video like at, yeah. at one point that's how much money music was making
1: <laughs> yeah that's pretty fucking crazy yeah yeah,
0: and uh, a lot of the designs I think between you know the the sort of zombified uh, what's his name Jack in the movie mm, Jack Goodman looks a lot like some of the zombies and stuff that we saw
1: in, in thrillers so this is very much a yes. good warm up for that right yeah and there's that one point where everybody starts dancing in Piccadilly Circus. That was uh-huh. probably it, right? Probably an inspiration. Pretty sure you're been, right. That would have been real weird if just <laughs> suddenly everybody started doing the thriller dance. And they're like, okay. in a few years, this will be a reference.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll get it later. Now, the effects and stuff in this are, are all over the map. And I think the first thing that we got to talk about here is, of course, the, the epic transformation scene, which is like two minutes worth of the movie. And one of the things yeah. that really sets this apart from other werewolf transformations is for one there's no ottoman that he jumps behind no piece of furniture
1: he doesn't dive (laughs) behind anything he transforms in full light which as we've said a million times the the two biggest aids for special effects are darkness and quick cuts and this gives us long lingering shots in bright light
0: yeah, just total
1: it, normal household room yeah. light. There's
0: nothing fancy going on at all here, so yeah. that means the effects had to be absolutely flawless.
1: Yeah, so if you're looking at this movie and being like, "I don't get why everybody thinks Rick Baker's so amazing," you know, because we're, you know, uh, almost 40 years away from this, and there have been effects that are a lot more effective than this. But in 1981, to show these in full light, to I mean the, the the snout development like the way the, oh, yeah. the face comes out apparently rick baker worked on that for months and then they got one six second shot of it and landis was like okay moving on and rick baker was like what the fuck and he was so worried about it and then when he saw it with an audience and everybody's just started like hooting and hollering and reacting like what uh, he was like, oh, OK, he he moved on because he got the perfect shot the first time like he he was able to create these things he worked so hard on that. John Lennon didn't even have to do it over and over and like find the right exact angle where it didn't look fake like he he was able to just be like, boom, shot, done, move on. Wow! Yeah, the
0: effects were so effective that you could have shot it from basically any angle, and it would have been like, "Yep, that's convincing as fuck." That's great! (laughs) Yep. Wow, man. Well, and the thing about it too that I think makes it so effective and so much different than other werewolf transformation scenes is that that guy is an absolute agonizing pain the entire time. Yes, it is is not like a. Oh, what is this? I am becoming like a monster. it's not that at
1: all in full pain he's yelling and screaming and writhing in pain and and yeah and we see like everything elongating and hear the bones cracking and crunching dude
0: Uh, man when the fingernails like the pointed like nails through, yes, uh, come through his actual nails and yeah you're right it's like hearing the bones extend and stuff like that and the disbelief that he has of watching his own hands grow in front of him It's really terrifying and and it almost kind of takes it into that body horror kind of territory because it's like if you were watching your body going through these spontaneous transformations and feeling your bones growing at a rate of like several inches every, you know, second or two, it would
1: be excruciatingly painful. Well, I mean, you know, Cronenberg was watching this and just ejaculating everywhere (laughs) yeah he's he's whacking off yeah he got rick baker to do videodrome just a couple years after this like did he really yeah like he it's obvious that this had a huge influence on what cronenberg was able to write because before this he you know like brood and stuff like that they were able to do some body horror but it's just like real uh pretty shots and tame sort of stuff And then, you know, we get Videodrome and The Fly and stuff after American Werewolf in London, where we see these huge transformations and just disgusting twisting of bodies and organs and things. And I I think Rick Baker was a major inspiration for Cronenberg. Oh, absolutely so, man. Yeah, the the design of
0: that transformation is crazy. I love that one scene where he's laying on his back and I guess his head is coming through the floor because he's got that really elongated torso and arms yeah. that I assume are a puppet, right?
1: I would assume. Yeah, I, I I didn't watch the there's there's a small making of thing. Oh, I didn't get a chance to watch uh, because it's it's on the DVDs and I didn't have the DVDs. <laughs> so, uh, but I I assume a lot of that was just cleverly manipulated him through the floor, or whatever. But it. it I don't know, like they they were able to do it so perfectly and seamlessly that even in those lingering shots, I'm not questioning it ever at any point. Like It just looks like a body deforming.
0: Yeah, and then whenever we get to see the full transformed wolf, there's not really a lot of full shots that you see of it. A lot of times it's just flashes of an articulated head that's being used as a puppet. There's like the front legs and
1: stuff like Uh that, but you never really see it on yeah, that's because it's, it's operated from the back. <laughs> so right. uh, Rick Baker is actually in the back, and you can actually see apparently in one scene you can see his beard. If uh, if really? you pause it at the right moment, you can see his beard because you know he's he's just pushing the the wolf through the streets of London when it was supposed to be running.
0: And this is basically like a, an actor using his arms to control the front legs. Yeah, it, it's, like riding in a maker. wheelbarrow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man, that's fucking crazy. It's yeah, cool. it's one of those things that like it looks so sick that I want to see more. I feel like it didn't wear out its welcome. Where I'm like, no, the scariness never wore itself off. Like, there's a no. lot of movies where they show the monster so many times, just full monty, that you're like desensitized to it. You just get used to seeing it. But in this movie, yeah. you know, and when whether that's due to just limitations of how they could have shot it and stuff. By the end of the movie, I don't feel like I truly have an idea of the form of that thing uh, or its scale or anything like that. It still remains scary to me even towards the end, you know?
1: Yeah, like, even with the design, even though it's on four legs, it does, the design seems to indicate that it could stand up on its hind legs. Yeah. Like, it it has that sort of hunch-over look to it, where it's like, I can run on four legs or I could stand up. And I, I think Rick Baker was probably trying to push that in there because he wanted to do the bipedal wolf but the the fact that like you can i mean just go on and google this and you can still see the rick baker like design creature if you see that creature it still looks frightening today it's terrifying yeah and i think a
0: lot of that is the design of the face and the eyes of Uh this creature it's got these like completely wide open eyes and very aggressively down pointing eyebrows and stuff. A lot of it honestly reminds me of the design of like Japanese Oni masks. Those demon yeah. face masks and yeah. things. Yes. A lot of them had this hyper exaggerated, like bug eyes. And like I said, really yeah. diagonal eyebrows and big fearsome teeth. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what a lot of his design inspirations were. I don't know if that's one of them because to me, they're very similar looking.
1: Yeah, I would like to know that too. I'd like I'd like to because there's a longer documentary that is that's on like the newest Blu-ray release. I- I'd, I'd love, love to see. see love to see it, but d- didn't get a chance. Did watch some interviews with John Landis and uh, also a thing with Edgar Wright and like the amount of love John Landis has for this movie really indicates to me like just how how the production operated in a way that obviously seems to have been fun, collaborative, uh, and, and really given people a space to shine. Like Rick Baker won an Academy award for the, the makeup in this, like the, the, the comedy that shines through with David Naughton and Griffin Dunn is there. Uh, Jenny Agater, who is gorgeous, uh also is is able to shine even in a character that i would say isn't isn't a well-written female character like she she has no like real thoughts or anything it's like she doesn't seem to exist before she meets him and then she meets him and her only real character is that she loves him no matter what like even though he's crazy as hell and like everything he says should be like oh i need to go now but (laughs) no yeah yeah
0: yeah, she's but, in it. She's in it to win it. There's I think some reasons for that that we'll talk about a little while later too.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's I, I think there are a few readings of this movie that we'll have to look into. But yeah, the, the cast of this is great. Uh we David Naughton and Griffin Dunn, the the choice to cast them is real interesting because David Naughton up to that point had really just known for being the dr pepper guy yeah i'm a pepper you're a pepper he like
0: lost his his contract with that job because of how many times like his dick is
1: out in this movie i guess (laughs) yes (laughs) and uh griffin dunn hadn't really done much up to this point either so like the choice to put and this was a 5.8 million dollar budget the choice to put these two relatively unknown guys as your stars and then also to give them so many scenes just with each other is a big swing yeah and and i think they've got great chemistry on on, on the camera too yeah Yeah, they they seem very believable they improvised a lot of their sort of funny lines like no shit yeah the when they say bye to the sheep that was just them whenever uh they see the name of the the pub what is it the slaughtered Slaughtered lamb lamb, yeah yeah he uh griffin dunn improvised the what sort of advertising is that for a place like (laughs) that's awesome yeah so like they had really great chemistry they seem like average everyday dudes and also i i think again in horror it works to not be famous yeah no doubt it's landis's real smart choice to pick these two guys who aren't famous and it it gives you less of a connection to them you see them as as just the characters you're seeing in front of you
0: well i'll put it to you this way it's a good move to pick not famous people as long as they're
1: not famous because they're horrible actors (laughs) <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like these guys are not famous because they're horrible actors they should not be in the movie yeah yeah but these guys
0: just happen to be really fantastic on screen with yeah. each other and again dude really jack's good. makeup as he's decomposing i think so it's awesome probably the most impressive part of this movie yeah. special
1: effects wise and i the mean transformation's amazing but golly like the last form we see him in where he's mostly skull but yeah, like the puppet he doesn't look wrong. Like when no. he's talking or anything, it still looks right. Well, apparently the explanation for that is uh,
0: that Rick Baker was talking about is, you know, they, they did those scenes with the skeletal version of him as as a puppet. Right. Yeah. Because whenever you are building somebody's face to make it look like a skull, you have to like build those cheekbones out in order to make the cheeks oh, seem yeah. sunken in and so yeah. on. So you end up with, like, the perfect example you can think of is, like, the, uh... What is, what is the scene in Creep Show The F- Father's Day, I think it's called? Uh-huh, yes. Where at the end, it's like, he's got this skull face, but, like, his head looks too big for his body. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's because you have to build a face out to make a skull. Yeah. Whereas in this, they are just like, just make it a puppet, that way it'll be the right proportions and stuff. Yeah, and, and it's it, very It convincing. looks better, yeah. But again, it's in a dark theater, which helps, too. Right. But, dude, the scenes were, like, Whenever he has that first, you know, dream or vision, whatever you want to call it, where he sees his buddy and the wounds still look fresh and his skin is like dangling off, dude, you can see the ribs in his trachea. Uh It's fucking disgusting. (laughs) And again, I I wonder how they did that because there's depth to the cuts. So that means that they built his face out, but it still doesn't look like there's a big bulgy appliance on it. I, I guess they probably had to do a lot of tests to find exactly where the sweet spot was between making these cuts look truly deep and making his face look too puffed out
1: you know oh yeah again you can see why rick baker won uh, this was by the way the first academy award for special effects makeup wow so, really? yeah not only did did he set like a huge tone for horror movie special effects he was just setting a huge tone for special effects in general damn dude yeah. that's really cool and i love like
0: the half corpse version of him that we see too where he's kind of green yeah. and again kind of looks like a thriller zombie honestly
1: yeah it does yeah those what, are really cool what, one thing that was interesting to me that i read that griffin dunn really had trouble with his corpse makeup because it, it made him sort of confront the idea of what he would look like dead and he had yeah. never really thought about it and it fucked him up and he also said that uh he told his mom that she she was gonna hate the way he looks in the movie and she did immediately (laughs) like because it made her think of her her son dying like so even though you know you look at it and there are things you can say like well he's he's very bright green it seems and that that seems almost like a way inhuman look but yeah yeah it was still so effectively done that it had that that in like that way of just getting under his skin and his mom's skin because it really did make them think about him being dead.
0: Well, and I think that that's meant to be too, a way to further drive the survivor's guilt angle Mm -hmm. that our protagonist is dealing with here where, you know, his friend got attacked at the first of the movie and he ran his friend died and he didn't. And he's the one that's living while his friend is, you know, he would in his imagination assume, you know, rotting away in a box somewhere yeah, uh, I think it's really terrifying. Not only that he is be- being visited by his dead friend, but also seeing the brutal injuries that his friend sustained in his place while he was off running away, and then he's also yeah. forced to watch him rot. I mean, goddamn, dude, it's like it- it's hard enough to imagine seeing one of your friends die, but then also being revisited by their corpse, which is rotting away. Right. That is truly. Horrific. And it's always yeah. just like, you know, but by the time that you get the impression that his friend is continuing to like rot throughout the movie, you know, you're always just kind of like, boy, the next time I see him, what's he going to look like? You know, right. yeah. it gets in your head and it's really yeah. always very terrifying to see like, oh my God, he's even more disgusting this time.
1: <laughs> so here's, a, okay. So you said there, uh, imagination and that made me think of one theory about this movie. That is that. uh, At no point is David ever a werewolf, and this is all in his imagination. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you
0: thought about that because I mean, the obvious thing is okay—is his rotting friend real or not?
1: But also, is he ever a werewolf or not? I I think that, because that John Landis was really trying to deal with the themes of transformation and like growing up. And he even said, you know, specifically, like, werewolf uh, transformation and puberty are obviously two things that that go hand in hand. That you could see this as a philosophical thing of him, yeah, dealing with the death of his friend and the fact that he did nothing and then maybe you know six murders occur in london and he then puts that on himself because he's putting all of these things on himself and it just drives him to the brink where he then causes all this destruction and gets shot by the police yeah i i I see that theory and think there's some interesting bits to that but i actually think that if you look at that theory, you have to consider that we do see those people get killed by the werewolf. And then it is confirmed that six people were killed. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It, if we saw that and we get the confirmation uh, completely separate from David, he's it's the doctor talking to the nurse. And we get that confirmation. It seems to me like this is all saying that these there is very much a werewolf in this movie. That's the impression that I get too. I don't. I don't think that it's really a a valid idea to think that he wasn't actually becoming a wolf. Yeah. At some point in here, I get like thematically there there is like a lot to be said for what this means that he's going through this and 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 whatnot. But it the events of the movie seem to completely indicate full werewolf. So I'm just going to assume full werewolf. But I'm open. that other interpretation it just doesn't seem to be fully right to me
0: well the thing about that idea is too is that there are people in this movie that live out in the countryside the people that we see out in the slaughtered lamb that do seem to be very aware of the reality of this situation and this is something that was brought up to me by deadite kevin bickerdike Oh, yeah? Who contributes on the regular to the conversation over and on And who the knows Facebook what the page. hell he's
1: talking about when it comes to horror movies, and specifically this horror movie. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'd made it clear. What's he got to say?
0: Well, basically, he'd made it clear that this is like one of, if not his favorite, you know, horror flicks of all time. Uh-huh. And so before I watched the movie, I kind of picked his brain uh, about it a little bit, and he had some interesting things to say about some of the topics to watch for in okay. the movie. Uh, that being one of them in particular is like who believes in the, a werewolf and who doesn't because basically the people right. that still live out in the countryside uh-huh. that are less i don't know less modernized i guess you could say
1: yeah they still they are less to exposed hold... to the the uh ideas that you get in the metropolis area so yeah they have their old school beliefs
0: yeah exactly and they still very much seem to hold their their mythology as reality in a lot of ways. I mean, they have yeah. the, st- the star on the wall, the sign yeah, of the which Wolfman, is all that shit. The
1: sign of the Wolfman for straight out of the original Wolfman with Lon Chaney. Yeah.
0: Right. And they all seem to be very cognizant of, of what's going on. Meanwhile, whenever you get to the people that are in London proper, in the big city, I mean, even as he's like out there in that town square trying to get arrested, being like, I killed six people. You need to arrest me. Right. Everybody's like, Oh, it could be a prank. Yeah, you know, like they don't want to believe what he's right. telling them because it's just so yeah, outrageous it, and far fetched,
1: and goes completely against all logic and reason. Yeah, a exactly. man turning into a wolf.
0: Yeah, yeah, and maybe it's because they're you know in such high society that things like that, those kind of old beastly myths right. and so on, couldn't possibly exist, even though they're mm-hmm. straight up staring at them in the face.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah, no that that's that's very interesting because the the people in the country certainly uh, I I love the way that they come in and everybody's a little like you know wary of them they don't know who these people are and they're out in the middle of of nowhere it's supposed to be North England but it's actually shot in Wales but uh they're they're in the middle of nowhere they're not seeing a whole lot of Americans come through everybody kind of you know. Is a little uh side eyeing them at first. But oh, definitely. Then well, it's a very it insular get, society, is the impression yeah, we get. But it gets turned on its head almost immediately when uh Jack mentions the Alamo. And then the the uh bartender is like, yeah, I've seen that movie. Everybody in the bar is then like, yeah, we've seen that movie. It's kind of like this moment where like yeah they're out in the middle of the country but they're just they're very much exposed to the rest of the world just like anybody else Uh, Well, i think that's also there to to kind of bring forth the idea that
0: while americans just kind of go wherever and they just are americans wherever they go in the world and we probably aren't very schooled about anywhere else's culture or history anywhere like that no meanwhile it's like you can go to some middle of nowhere you know pub in the middle of of the uk and here these guys know our history just as well as we do
1: yep yeah. yeah well because in a lot of ways because of hollywood movies but i i would say also like that in this case jack represents the ugly american very very clearly because what i would say the ugly american is that the stereotype that that americans get when they go abroad is that Americans can show up in a country and immediately other the people in the country meaning they make the people in the country that they live in feel uncomfortable in their own country as though they are the tourists so (laughs) that that's exactly what Jack does when he's like so what's up with that star like he's just treating them like these things he's observing these interesting subjects he's not treating them like human beings and they are treating them like human beings which is why it turns immediately when he asks about it it's not just like we can say well yeah it's about the werewolf but they could have come up with any excuse to explain that why they don't is because he was rude (laughs) he was rude they were talking about something he had just heard this joke, which is a pretty funny joke about the Alamo. Uh, and then he he's not even laughing. He's just like, yeah, what's up with that thing? Like, yeah, he, he's yeah. not a part of the group, and he's seeing the group as other. It feels so, very much like he was just,
0: you know, he wasn't listening. He was just waiting right. for his turn to talk again.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so, like, I think that that bar scene uh minus Jack, if it had just been David, it would have been a scene of uh, a young man having a fun night throughout the night. They would have protected him and then he would have just walked on. But, they have this ugly American here who can't just respect people. Who has to, like, see them as subjects. Uh, And then, they don't care anymore. I mean, it, I guess they do care. There's the guy who's playing chess who, uh, like he has this influence on the town that seems to be like he's he's like the town bully like he decided at some point we don't talk about the werewolf and everybody's afraid of him
0: yeah that's the impression i got too yeah. so but then like, later he seems to feel bad about setting the guys loose to a to certain death but it's like you're the one that sent them out dude <laughs> well no that's the dart player who oh that's a dart guy yeah 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 Sorry, yeah. it makes those two up
1: yeah, I understand that because they both have uh, big heads <laughs> and <look, laughs> kind of look like they've been hit in the face a few times. Uh, the The interesting thing to me there is that like every, everybody seems to just go along with the bully except for the, the barmaid who is like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. And then she does seem to convince them to actually go and save them. Uh, but we don't see any of that. All we see is the like weird moments. And it's it's interesting for John Landis to show us the moments where they're being weird. Uh, but also give us that moment where they're just being normal and then things get weird. Mm-hmm. So what we what we get is a one-sided view of the country people where it seems like they're up to something they're hiding something and they are but at the same time they're being treated by these americans and then later by this doctor from london like subjects like foreign like something unrecognizable as a, a regular everyday person so the fact that they're acting that way uh, isn't exactly their fault <laughs> they may be very open to tell everybody about the werewolf if people will show up and be nice to them
0: yeah and i think that there's definitely supposed to be a lot of those cultural differences pointed out to us through the movie i mean even just naming the movie american werewolf in london yeah is very in your face like these are two cultures that are crossing it could have just been a werewolf in london but this is very Mm -hmm. specifically this is how an american werewolf would behave over here yeah. And uh, it's like you said, I think that we are kind of shown multiple times through the movie how just fucking obnoxious these Americans are over yep. there. I mean, there's that one scene where uh, him and Alex are like down riding the subway and they encounter these like very sex pistols looking punks, Punk rock right? Kids, yeah. And they've all got like crazy colored hair and piercings and leather jackets and stuff like that. Meanwhile, if you think about it, they're just completely minding their own business. They're not being loud nothing. obnoxious. They're doing nothing. They've done nothing. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we've got our American dude here who's the one that's like making faces like a fucking six-year-old and being obnoxious yeah. about it, right? hmm So it's like even in comparison to the hooligans <laughs> right. who are actually very well behaved, you've got this guy who just looks like a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is a lot of that like confrontation of Americanness and Europeanness. Europeanness? Europeaness. Europeaness? Europeaness. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of that sort of conflict. And there's also a way of looking at this as uh as a a conflict between Jewishness and whiteness. And John Landis okay, yeah. grew up in a, a Jewish family and the, the character is referenced as Jewish, which is why we don't get to see a lot of that sweet dick, because the actual actor <laughs> wasn't circumcised. at dick but, ain't could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's about uh, like uh, in a similar way, how the Jewish community is within the American community. How uh, the Jewish community can be like Picked out as different, while also looking the same, mm, a- and, okay. and very much like an American in London is only recognizable by his Americanness. Uh, okay. A Jewish yeah. person in America is only recognizable by their Jewishness. Like hmm. you, you are nothing special uh, as just an American. Uh, it's it's considered almost the base level right here. Like Landis is sort of setting American as the base, and then. Uh, placing it somewhere else like London uh, and then this Jewishness is just this undercurrent where we have David dealing with coming into being a man and this transformation into this entirely different person like the idea that at 12 years old uh, I think that's when they have the bar mitzvah right? Well, I think so yeah this idea that at 12 years old you suddenly become something different like you, you go from being this just little boy to now you're a man and dealing with what that means and how you how you then exist in a world that doesn't have the same views where yeah you're this 12 year old and in this jewish community you're now considered a man but in this american community you're just a little boy Hmm, so like there, there's these confrontations between all these different elements, and he is this Jewish-American in London. Hmm. Right on, I hadn't yeah. thought about it in that way. Because, yeah, yeah, the
0: the Jewish stuff is pretty underplayed, except oh, yeah. for it's, it's real, that real one down there. fucking crazy-ass <laughs> dream scene that is yep. out of nowhere with yep. these Nazi werewolves, Nazis. <laughs> Dude, that scene could not possibly be more jarring and intense. Because it's like... Yeah. It's before anything in the movie is really getting all that intense. I mean, we've had the werewolf attack, yeah. which was, like, very... It uh, was intense, Very yeah. sudden, very intense and violent, Yeah, because it
1: had just been, like, jokey, 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 and then that. And yeah. he's like, like Griffin Dunn's screams are so good. Oh, it's and so believable. He says the thing that I, I guess they just stole for friday the 13th part four he says he's killing me (laughs) oh he does doesn't he yeah Mm -hmm. holy shit i
0: forgot about that (laughs) yeah yeah that scene man is is so great the attack scene it really is like what it would be like to witness a feral animal attack you know where you're just out walking around and suddenly you're being attacked by a wild animal it is so jarring and intense and there's no soundtrack too which makes it even more like you're caught in the moment with them Yeah, Yeah, and then we're treated to this crazy werewolf dream scene and it's very much the same where it's just out of nowhere intensely violent and weird in an otherwise quiet situation. There's not like soundtrack alerting you that like something bad is about to happen or trying to provoke you into feeling how, you know, horrific what you're seeing on screen is.
1: Yeah, I want to point out specifically that in his dream sequences, and I, I think this is genius i i don't know i would need to hear from rick baker if he did this on purposes on purpose but in his dream sequences the makeup isn't as good the that's masks, a good point yeah the masks that they're wearing are obviously rubber and don't move or anything
0: yeah yeah it's yeah, because he that.
1: it's a dream but when we see the werewolf it looks like a fucking wolf like it is very Life-like, real yeah. yeah And i think that's another indication that this isn't a dream like, yeah is that contrast his, between the effects yeah. in his dreams versus reality huh yeah so i i i would believe that if rick baker said yeah we intentionally made the dream scenes look a little more hokey because that makes sense like it really does make sense to make his dream sequences more silly and that is a silly moment. Like, I mean, it's it's scary, Nazi werewolves, but it's also very silly. It's like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's almost like fucking Rob Zombie, you know, werewolf women of the
0: SS. Exactly,
1: which I assume was probably inspired by that dream
0: sequence. <laughs> but I think there's also something in there that's very, like, deeply psychological where, you know him growing up in a jewish family he probably had this lifelong fear of of nazis obviously because yes. parents would have been of an age that could have been touched by the effects yes. of nazis in world war ii so it's like that was probably a deep-seated fear of his growing up and now he's also got this other growing fear of i might be turning to a fucking werewolf and this dream represents yeah. the combination of those two things and also his idea that his werewolfism could destroy everybody around him and the people he loves exactly I mean, dude, yeah. in that scene where they bust into the house it's like yeah you say werewolf zombies and you're like oh, oh that's kind of funny or werewolf uh, Nazi. sorry yeah and it seems very silly and over the top but it's like they kill his whole family like they make yeah. him watch with a knife at his throat as they cold-blooded gun down his little brother and sister who are fucking kids children and then yeah yeah and whenever they like they get the torches and light them off of the fireplace and they're like burning the couch and the the yeah. curtains and everything it's just so horrifically intense, considering just before that it was just a family in their house watching t v and then yeah. suddenly everything is
1: ruined to me it's just
0: so jarring and fucking intense man yeah
1: i i really i enjoy that uh particular like the the way in which because this is where i believe it starts introducing the idea of him like being in a dream and not being able to come out of it right like because he he does sort of come out of that but then the nurse gets killed by a nazi werewolf right yeah which is like behind a a window curtain like very illogical it's like very dream logic where it's like she goes over to the window
0: and there's one of them there that doesn't make sense it's not a door yeah, yeah
1: Yeah, but it's very dreamlike. It, and I I think maybe, again, it's possible John Landis was also like foreseeing people reading this as a dream. And he wanted to show, like, no, if this were a dream, it would have more of that dream logic. Like, mm-hmm. he would wake up and some element from the nightmare would be involved in a new nightmare. Like, he's not actually awake. But you, you do have that happen when you, like, have nightmares sometimes where you feel like you've woken up but you're actually still asleep and yeah, then like the yeah. elements of the nightmare can start bleeding back in I love it.
0: that that other dream logic that we get in there too and some of the dream sequences where like Alex the nurse is visiting him in his hospital bed in the middle of the woods like that's just the kind of shit that your brain does whenever yeah. you're dreaming where it's like well I would be in the woods because I'm a wolf man but right. I'm also in the hospital so my hospital bed uh-huh. is in the middle of the woods yeah
1: kind yeah, of it, the
0: stuff we saw in, in the ritual that Netflix movie
1: Oh yeah, uh, also like the the way that he he basically in those dreams, it's like he's free. So like he he's he's feeling free, and he's not the wolf. But that freedom is him like embracing the wolfness, like it's him running naked through the forest. Yeah, when he bites so, like, that deer, it reminds me of that
0: fucking that SNL commercial with Will Ferrell, where I think it's like for a deodorant or something. <laughs> he just uh-huh. like chomps that deer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they all, they also like, uh, Stephanie Meyer definitely was inspired by this scene because there's a scene in like the fourth Twilight movie that I saw that I assume is in the book where it's like Bella becomes a vampire and she goes out hunting for deer and it's her running through the forest and then like stalking a deer and stuff. <laughs> and it's very much like this scene. But this scene having much more joy and levity to it. The the way that like he he feels that freedom though in these moments. And the way that he when he wakes up after the first night as a werewolf and he's like just he seems to be supercharged with energy. Yeah, totally. Really not not feeling bad or anything. Like he will feel bad when he finds out about the deaths. But in the moments leading up to that, he feels happy and he's full of energy and doesn't seem to be in the least bit like perturbed by the fact that he's naked in the middle of this park in london yeah yeah he just seems to be kind of like obsessed with how great he feels (laughs) yeah so uh, there's something to then like the the transformation that is is a positive is it good like is something that he he wants or needs so I, I, I'm i really trying to, I guess, parse out what what is the transformation supposed to be, and at the end, are we supposed to be happy for him or s- sad that he died?
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the tone of this movie that is really odd. Um, yeah. I mean, because obviously a lot of the movie he's here dealing with, like I said, the survivor's guilt of him living on while his friend yeah. is dead. But then he's like also... Really happy that he's hot legging this hot nurse and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and some people have have critiqued that and been like, "There's not really like a definite tone. It's like, is he sad about his friend dying and himself living, or is he like ecstatic about this life that he's living over here?" Like, it, it's a little hard to say exactly what his yeah. feelings are through a lot of the movie. And some people take that as a bad thing, but to me, it's it's cool because you just never really know what to expect. No,
1: you don't. And and I think it's I think it's a good imitation of your 20s as well. Cuz like I mean, if you've survived past your 20s into your 30s, you've definitely dealt with somebody your age dying. Sure. And you've definitely dealt with uh the fact that life goes on. Like somebody your age dies, you it's the first time you have to deal with it, but life also goes on and things continue and people are happy. And everything in the world is still moving, and so like to expect a tone where someone's friend dies and then they're just devastated the rest of the movie, is kind of uh, unrealistic.
0: Like yeah, because he'd also be just experiencing being happy to be alive probably. Especially exactly as young as yeah, he was, yeah
1: that's part of survivor guilt is the is the feeling of being happy that you're alive conflicting with the feeling that you may be able to have done something and that your friend is not dead and are your friends not alive and they're not getting the gift you have so it's like the real conflict that you deal with it's much more realistic if he is at times happy and other times dealing with the memory of his dead friend
0: it's just very manic isn't it it's just like two complete sides of the spectrum right there it's either one or or the other exactly of course the whole movie he's being told by his you know dead best friend who's rotting away in front of him that he needs to kill himself right like it's very just explicit like you should kill yourself david you need to commit suicide like later in that in that theater all the people that he killed are like giving him suggestions of how he should kill himself ways to kill himself god damn
1: like that is it's like dark comedic and dark like just the it's funny because it's presented so like the way that the the woman says like oh you can shoot yourself like it's just like, (laughs) like there's so much levity to her voice And then, but then there's the other guy, the guy who got killed in the subway who is much darker and grimmer about it. Like it, each, each of the dead people still retains their personality from life. And that, I mean, there's all that conflict, like all the different things he has to deal with in those moments. And then the happy side where he's just met this hot nurse and she's like yeah you can hang out at my apartment while i'm at work and yeah, hey, don't worry you don't have any money and yeah don't worry that you're obviously crazy let's do this let's have a bit of fanny fun a fanny fun oh no <laughs> <laughs> and boy do they ever they just roll all over each other oh boy and that that super hot shower scene where it looks like they're both trying to not freeze to death well i
0: mean the thing is though is there is a point in any in any dual shower where you are just trying not to be cold
1: yeah they're just like tightly holding each other and like little delicate kisses uh and that's because the water was cold (laughs) Yeah, you think about a shower sex as being like so romantic and stuff like that, it's or like not. sharing a
0: shower uh, shower with somebody. It's really not all it's that not. much.
1: You gotta you gotta get, like you gotta have like a rich person shower with a ton of room. Tons and, well, you're of room. We're not worried about falling. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That uh, that sex scene goes on a long time too. Yeah, and they cut a good bit out of it to get the <laughs> wow the, the rating. So, yeah, uh, there were also there were also more dick. But, of course, they cut that out because he was uncut. They had to cut it because he was uncut. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So what do you think
0: is with Nurse Alex's fascination with him? Because she does just seem to go right along with him without even giving too much second thought to the fact that, like, this is a guy that was a witness to a brutal murder. He is saying he's a lunatic and that he's losing
1: his mind, and she just seems
0: to kind of go right along with it.
1: Uh, I'd say simple explanation he's a cute funny foreigner. Uh it's it's kind of like like you know how a british accent can pretty much convince an american of anything? Oh yeah. Like you put a british accent to anything and americans are like it, it sounds probably like that's true because of the britishness. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's easy like, to fall in love with that. Yeah, so you know people have their their own exotic exotic ideas of americans as well. So I you you wouldn't be surprised you could do well in Europe as an American. Well something that uh, he's, that Bickerdike pointed out a funny dude.
0: Yeah, yes. and something that Bickerdike pointed out as well in our in our messages we were uh exchanging there is uh-huh. that there's clues all around her apartment that she's a little bit of a what would you say, an Amerophile, an Americanophile? Yes.
1: And yeah, there's so many like uh like uh movie posters and things like that. Disney she has like- artifacts. Yeah, she even has like uh now I'm glad he pointed that out because I, I was really confused by this. She has a calendar and there's a turkey on it. A turkey is an American bird. Yeah. Yeah. So like that that blew my mind when I was looking at it. Like, why would they have a calendar with a turkey on it? Also, it's it's supposed to be like before the summer, right? They said like they would go to Italy in the summer. Yeah so like this is the spring like why would a turkey even be on a calendar i was really mind blown by that but then like realizing yeah they were trying to point towards her american obsession
0: that's the interest yeah
1: yeah definitely and she is uh
0: she's an attractive lady
1: I'll tell you that. Yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, Jenny Agater is a, a super super cutie. She was in Logan's Run before this. Uh, also, Child's Play two after this. She's she's in a ton of stuff though, and uh, she's also in one of John Landis's most recent movies, Burke and Hare, with Simon Pegg and uh, Oh Gollum, Andy Circus, Andy Circus. Wow. Yeah. If you've never seen that, I recommend watching it. It's a, it's about the true story of the two guys who dug up corpses to sell to uh universities back in the day oh
0: yeah i remember yeah. hearing about that but i never watched it is it
1: good it's good and it has the comedic element and serious elements pretty well balanced as well right but on, yeah, yeah. I, I love me some jenny agater specifically love her in uh call the midwife <laughs> and okay. i don't know if you've ever seen that but no so if you want to cry watch that show really yeah it's about it's about midwives uh in London, in like the the World War two area i I can't remember the years it's it's i think it's after World War two but uh it's it's really sad, and she's awesome in it well, one thing that I
0: caught about this too this time around is watching how the two dudes here our main our main guys in the movie are so like chick obsessed. And I love how they made that oh, even yeah. go well beyond death. Where <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. obviously, you know that one of the first scenes in the movie is them walking around the countryside talking about chicks. talking about
1: that girl. Yeah, yeah,
0: in in a pretty body, pretty body locker room talk kind of way. Yeah,
1: very, very, very guy type of talk. Except for the the moment where he says that uh, he's gonna make her have sex. That's a something? little. That's a little off color. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he said Didn't she has that. no
0: choice in the matter or something like no that. no choice like, in the matter that was it yeah That'd be,
1: that's Ooh, called raping don't like that don't it's called raping like that not yeah. what we're
0: looking for here and yeah, yeah. uh jack even whenever he goes and visits him the first time and he's you know just a ragged mangled corpse they still are talking about chicks at some point uh-huh. there <laughs> and then i got to thinking about it and even like later on whenever we see you know the skull face puppet head version version of of him Mm-hmm. he could have been anywhere but he's like at a porno theater yep. like even as he is decomposing
1: he just wants to see some ass and titties <laughs> i i we have to talk about that porno see you next wednesday
0: see you next wednesday <laughs> not Which next is tuesday. tuesday
1: yeah it's a play on see you next tuesday see you next wednesday the, the first thing they shot for this movie was that movie so that is and an entire like fake movie it's an entire well like not feature length but it's it's way longer than you think uh according to the guy who played the the subway the guy who got killed in the subway okay Gerald, I believe is his name uh he said that like it, it was it was a full like 20 30 minutes or something and uh it's way funnier than just the stuff that they showed like there's even more like jokes to it but we do get to see a couple of jokes like the guy come in that one guy comes in and he's like, "How dare you!" And the guy's like, <laughs> the guy's like, I don't life. even know him." And he's like, "Not you, you twit!" And then he says it to the woman, and she's like, "I don't know you." And he's like, "Right,
0: sorry." sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that they went like the extra mile to make that as its own yeah. little mini movie. It's like in Home Alone when they filmed a yeah. decent portion of Angels with Filthy Souls yes. or whatever.
1: It's so, so like it's so funny, and I would assume that there was some inspiration angels with filthy souls with, with from this there, there had to have been because john landis was one of the most like prolific and and popular directors of that time yeah so, he had to have It's had to have been some influence i would think i just love when people go
0: the extra mile to make that joke i mean it's like spinal tap would have been hilarious enough on its own but it's like they also recorded the entire album yeah and is the actual dudes <laughs> yes. in the movie playing the instruments like that it's makes awesome. it so much funnier to yeah. me. Well, even like my character in our fucking eighties hair metal tribute band, Skank Band, right. da- Davy Stranger, Davy right. Stranger has solo material. I think going <laughs> so far with a
1: joke it's makes the it so much funnier yes. to me. You know, yes, it really yes. That like that's one of the great things about real good comedy is is the dedication to the joke yeah (laughs) like just really putting so much extra effort into a tiny detail like that is is so funny yeah
0: definitely so man you know i wanted to ask you a little bit about the about the lore of this because you know usually whenever we get to cover something like a a classic monster movie like a uh, Uh a vampire or a zombie or whatever it's always fun to explore like how this particular flick takes a look at the lore and the character traits and where did it come from and stuff like that this movie largely leaves everything open it's very unanswered as to like where these things come from what the rules are they don't really say anything do you like that about it
1: i do i i like i like that they dismiss silver bullets and basically that's it like it's it's uh I mean he he turns into a werewolf around the full moon, which is kind of in line with some other werewolf movies that we've seen. but I don't know if if that was the case with I think it was the case with the wolf man that he changed around the full moon as well, but like they they don't get into it at all because the expectation is you you have a pretty good idea of werewolves, and we don't we don't need to explain all of these elements but we do have to say you don't need silver bullets you can just use regular bullets
0: yeah well i think that what this movie did so well that even movies that are continuing to be made you know 30 years after it uh have not picked up on is it's like the the idea of a werewolf has been so implanted into pop culture and society that you don't have to fucking explain it it's kind of like it's kind of like, you remember how there was that huge run of like every time we would get a new Spider-Man movie or a new Batman movie, right. it was like,
1: well, you got to show the, the Ben again. die. Yeah. Yeah. You got to show. Everybody's got to see those parents die outside of the mask of Zora. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because everybody
0: doesn't know that now, do they? Right. And it's like, they missed the point. They're like, yeah, everybody fucking knows. You don't need to explain it. I think it's almost showing a little bit of admiration for the audience's knowledge on the subject like if you're watching yeah. this movie about a werewolf you probably fucking know what a werewolf right. is we don't have to spell it out to you we don't have to say well ancient people in old welsh times used to believe the story of the man who had
1: become a wolf like you don't need to do that you know i really hope in the matt reeves batman that uh they they show the batman uh origin again and they just have the robber go by the way name's joe chill and he walks out (laughs) just like so so they can be like look we added something to it it's not it's not the same thing as all the other ones we threw the name in there totally (laughs) different dude completely different or he just throws it throws him a business
0: card call me kid joe chill (laughs) I mean they definitely did keep the moon influence in here and that seems to be pretty oh, yeah. omnipresent I mean obviously the soundtrack yeah. is just moon
1: songs the entire all time all moon songs every single song <laughs> and we don't we do not get to hear werewolves in London oh god damn it what a fucking uh, they they tried to get it by the way and no way did so they really that actually would have broken up the theme of all the songs being about the moon <laughs> yeah it was also too early to get Joe Satriani's Big Bad
0: Moon, which is one of those right. kind of kind of embarrassing songs that he sings on that's not very good.
1: But has a great solo, obviously. Yeah.
0: Missed but out yeah, on that the, one too.
1: The references back to the moon, the shots of the moon, etc. Uh, even the fact that the doctor refers to him as a lunatic, if you don't know, that comes oh, yeah. from Latin for uh, moonstruck. Got the moon uh, madness. Yeah, moon madness. So... There, there is this like constant reassociation with the moon that we get with werewolves and I think I don't know I, I think the connection of the 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 moon with werewolves has to do with like this embrace of of darkness. but it seems weird to me that it's the full moon. It would be make more sense if it were the new moon, right? hmm yeah like why did they choose the full moon for werewolves the time when there's the most light out why not choose the new moon when it's darkest i don't know like, i'm sure that there is probably like an old pig and yeah. explanation for that, there that I, I ma- yeah i would absolutely imagine but it's it's just a strange like i mean that's not this movie this movie is doing a good job of associating werewolves and moons and keeping us going by having the moon songs and things like that like i think that the reason this movie feels like it has such a good pace is because the things in the background are reminding us like even the street names are like lupine and things like that uh it's reminding us in the background okay there's gonna be a werewolf there's gonna be a werewolf there's gonna be a werewolf but the whole time we're watching mostly a guy just hanging out with his girlfriend
0: yeah totally it's like almost an hour in before we yeah. get that transformation and it's a short yeah. movie I mean you, you say an yeah. hour in it's more like you're 30 minutes to the end of the movie right? and he just now transforms which I think that I could see both ways pacing wise like some people being like there's just kind of a lot of hurry up and wait happening in this yep. movie but then also it's the fact that You're kind of waiting with him. It's like his friend told him, in two days, you're going to become a monster. And so you're kind of there waiting with him, being like, oh
1: shit, is this really going to happen? He's going through it in his head, too, you know? The lead-up, then, to the actual transformation is also a montage of tedium. Like, it's a montage of him being bored. Yeah, he's just, like, looking in the fridge, and he's like, I'm not hungry, what am I doing? Yeah, the montage isn't boring, though. It's like this real genius way of like keeping the audience connected to this while also like showing tedium i mean you see this a lot in movies whenever and i don't i don't think this is the first movie to do it it's just uh implementing a very smart montage seeing him do these different things you know that he's restless that there's a lot going on in his head but that he has nothing else to do he has nowhere to go nowhere to be and then he's just reading and then oh god like just like (laughs) no music there's no music sting and if the entire transformation I don't know if you noticed this no music play so crazy man like it's just this brilliant moment where you've brought the audience along they're still with you and then this happens surprisingly but unsurprisingly you're expecting it you're expecting him to turn into a werewolf but you're not expecting it at this moment when he's just sitting and reading a book
0: yeah exactly and again that's done so many times in this movie where like i said a lot of those shockingly violent scenes like the attack and the dream with the nazis and stuff yeah it's preceded by some very calm very chill stuff and it makes it seem even crazier whenever it's just been followed by something that kind of lulled you into a a sense of
1: security you know yeah and and the yeah the movie is genius for that and it's it's again i think like some influence of comedy that idea of like if you can add an extra like element of detail to something like it makes the joke longer but it it also can draw the audience in more where there's just enough detail for them to really like buy it and then the payoff yeah. Uh, and you know with a with a joke it's gonna be laughter and in this case it's gonna be wait what the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so man uh and on the subject of the soundtrack too
0: of course most of the music in this is like licensed tunes like bad moon yeah. rising and bad blue moon rising moon and stuff like blue moon,
1: moon a few versions of blue moon uh, uh what is that other one that they play the moon Dance is in there uh-huh yeah yeah but there's so yeah, also the, some
0: some orchestral score during some of the dream scenes and stuff. Uh, who did the soundtrack?
1: Shit, I, I I did not write it down. I do know that he uh, at the end of the movie there is a total. It's a total of seven minutes of orchestral score. That's not a lot at all. Uh, yeah, and he had scored some other stuff, and, and it's been released as a track, but it wasn't. Ended up like they just didn't want to use it, and, and you. It's surprising. After I read that and watched it again, I was surprised by how much of the movie doesn't use any sort of background music. Right. And it's by Elmer Bernstein. I just
0: looked that up. Elmer Bernstein. There you go. Yeah. I like the moments that they specifically chose to not do soundtrack, especially during some of the attacks and stuff like that, where it's just ambient noise and the sound of what's happening. It's like it Uh draws you in a lot more than, like you said, if there were soundtrack stabs and stuff like that, like reminding you, you should be scared right now instead it just makes you a part of the action
1: I don't know if you recognize this like you have to I think either be listening on a uh, like on headphones or with a a really good sound system at home but when they're out in the moors and they hear the wolf in between the wolf's howls you can hear some like
2: in the background
1: there was a pig farm nearby that got caught on the sound but they thought it, like, added to the ambiance. So it's like this <laughs> real weird, like, there, there's never a moment of full silence in that. There's always some noise being made in the background, but it's, it still feels silent and still.
0: That's really in cool. In between the
1: howls, yeah. Yeah, that works really, really well for me, man. Definitely
0: does. Yeah, so I think the soundtrack and stuff in this is, is very well done. Maybe I get tired of hearing Blue Moon by the end of it, but it's still all right.
1: Right yeah uh it, it was cool though because i've been playing fallout new vegas recently just when i have some time because it's a game i know backwards and forwards and i just can uh totally veg out but they have frank sinatra's blue moon in it and so i i kept wanting that to hit i don't know if you've heard his version of blue Moon. i don't know if i know it oh uh, it's it's great it's got old that blue real eye feint. yeah it's got the real frank to it um I just I really wanted that to hit. I th- I think like at the end though. What it, it's like ball with the ball the ball the ball. The ball, the ball, the ball the yeah. moon. That's that's very strange.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, especially considering how absolutely like kind of crushing the ending yeah. of the movie is, dude. Yeah. Like she tells him that she loves him and then he gets blown away by the cops like there'd been this notion through the movie that like oh only a loved one can kill a werewolf and it's like or the cops
1: nope. or just <laughs> yeah the cops yeah. it's
0: almost very cynical in a way where it's like yeah no he just got shot and died
1: and that's the end of the movie baa 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 yup it works great I, I really love it I th- I think that was uh that that actually helps balance the comedy and horror in a way that as you said, like that that moment is the most shocking where it's just as depressing as the movie ever gets, and then it gives us the most upbeat song in the entire soundtrack. Like, yeah, no doubt. It yeah, it really kind of fits
0: us that constant flip flop of like exactly, goofy yeah.
1: slash remorseful that the whole movie has been playing with the whole time. Yeah. It's like the the perfect ending. i uh, I really think like watching this movie, I don't have any complaints. Like I see why it's a classic, and uh, it should be talked about more. It, yeah, it really, it's not missing much. No, huh? Um, and it's also
0: got a very, a very strange, if you think about it, very hyper meta thing that happens in the movie. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. There's a handful of people in this movie that you recognize and you go, wait, I know that guy from something. Like, some of the people in the pub, you've got a dude in there who's in, like, a couple of parts Pirates of Caribbean movies and Gladiator.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, the dart the dart player was in all sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah, fucking Drop Dead Fred is in this movie. Drop Dead Fred <laughs> is in this
1: fucking movie. Boy, I mean, when are they take... going to remake that one, huh? <laughs> uh, I, I, I believe there was some talk of a remake a few years Ugh. ago. Yeah. Please, know. No. Uh, I mean it's also crazy to think that we have the director of practical magic as one of the stars. Wait, who's that? Griffin Dunn Jack Goodman. He directed no practical way. magic. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the weird things in this that's hyper meta in terms of one of the people that's in here. Okay, whenever he wakes up, he's in the hospital. We got the American dude that comes and checks on him played by Frank Oz, of course. Yeah and yeah exactly or Fozzie bear whichever one you want to call yeah,
1: any of them or sesame street characters all over the place
0: yeah he's so unmistakably frank oz like that guy yeah. can't not sound like Fozzie. that's just his voice <laughs> but then what we're
1: shown is that in this world the muppets are a real series yes and so the scene that that was shown wasn't shown in the american uh, version of that episode of the muppets so all the americans watching it thought that this was like specially shot for the movie so how did this guy oh that just opens up a whole new can of
0: worms and shit yeah. so how did this guy an american dream about that scene that he had never seen but was in the british version that makes no <laughs> sense that's
1: awesome was he dreaming right then when he he was watching tv yeah because it's when the, yeah, the, the, right. the nazis
0: attack it's what is yeah. like brother and sister are watching
1: that's insane yeah because Word. because yeah the that episode uh is uh senior wences is the name of that episode and the the scene that they show was not in the american version of the muppet show huh how weird is that huh that is so strange so he yeah he's having a dream of something he couldn't possibly have seen yeah
0: but here's the thing a, is like voiced
1: by a guy who's in the movie <laughs> yeah
0: yeah because the thing is, is like in this world where obviously the Muppets are real and he's familiar with them, that means he was laying in the hospital bed going, God damn, this guy sounds like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> and maybe yes. that's what made him have Holy a dream shit. about the Muppets.
1: What, yes. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> I didn't even fucking right? think about that.
0: Yeah, because they could have had anything on the TV, but they yeah. specifically went with that right after the scene with Frank Oz in it wow i have to think that's deliberate yeah that had to be
1: deliberate for sure wow that's (laughs) cool
0: or i'd also like to think that this is also a part of some other unreleased movie where it's like frank oz international man of secrecy where frank oz (laughs) in real life goes around the world and pretends to be other people yeah
1: that that would be awesome (laughs) and that really was
0: actual frank oz in this movie
1: (laughs) yeah I always forget that Frank Oz directed awesome movies. Oh, shit. Yeah, tons. That guy's yeah. awesome, man. That guy's like, absolutely amazing. Little Shop of Horrors was one that I loved as a kid. The The Steve Martin and Rick Moranis one. Oh, yeah, the, dude. the Jack Nicholson one. But, uh And also, What About Bob was him. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, Death at a Funeral, which is one of the funniest movies ever made. Dude, I need to watch that again. It has been fr- yeah. ever since I watched that. Yeah. Frank yeah, so is great.
0: I like that hyper meta weird thing that they slipped in there, and I don't think I've heard anybody else mention that. But to me, it's so on
1: the nose. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't even think about that. That's really cool. <laughs> that's a cool. That's a cool, interesting idea. That just hearing his voice, it was like sounds like those Muppets. <laughs> yeah, so that's what he dreamed about. Yeah, yeah, and there's another
0: thing in here that referenced something that you've talked about on the show recently. Whenever we did Army of Darkness, which is uh-huh. what is the book that she's reading? An American in Shit! It's what you said inspired Army of Darkness. I think. Oh, it's oh a, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Yes, she she's reading that. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, which again is like you talked about on the episode, very much an about American, an American up over there.
1: Yeah, yeah, Americanness uh, conflicting with Englishness, as well as the future conflicting with the past. Like, yeah. So th- that is an interesting thing to bring in. It it is that is definitely. Uh, undergirding a lot of that, like tension between his Americanness and their Britishness, but like, I, I, I can't imagine this. Like when you see that the sequel's title is an American Werewolf in Paris, it it just doesn't have the same meaning to me yeah. because the connection between Americanness and Britishness is like indelible like it cannot be removed we yeah, yeah. will always be uh you know two nations separated by a common language like we we are so similar and so different that an american in london really works with those conflicts whereas an american in paris like you just don't you don't connect those two cities as as readily and yeah. it doesn't have the same level of meaning, which is crazy because uh John Landis actually created an American werewolf in Paris as like a joke threat because um it was either Griffin Dunn or David Naughton's um what do you call it? Uh the thing you get when you go to another country to work. A visa? Visa. Yeah. One of their visas was being held up and the the they were being told that, like, there are already enough American actors in London. Just pick one of them. And he, he said, well, why don't I write an American werewolf in Paris and we'll oh. shoot there? And they were like, all right, you can bring him in because they wanted him. You know, they wanted the money for him shooting there. So like that, that started as a joke. And then somehow 15 years later becomes an actual movie. Like, I don't even know. Like, what a what a weird thing to set out on. To not even get to the essential nature of the original movie and to try to make that sequel. I, I just don't get it.
0: Yeah, no kidding, man. I'll watch it one day just because
1: I'm morbidly curious. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. <laughs> I've never heard from anybody that said that they really liked it, man. No. Yeah, this is a great flick, man. And and again, it's like it's only an hour and a half, but there's still so much to talk about. There's so much going on in yeah. this flick. And, and like I said, I think a lot of it is very much observing that that culture clash. I think a lot of it is observing um what it must feel like for a britner to look in the face of some asshole american and be like i
1: made this (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a good point you know we are like the rebellious teenage child yeah exactly fuck you and everything you stand for (laughs) oh oh you but then there's
0: also so much in there, like you said, about survivor's guilt and stuff like that. Some really great humorous stuff, man. Some things that are yeah. just so goddamn British, dude. That scene where, during the subway chase, which is so intense and so well done, where it just cuts mm-hmm. to this random guy alone in the tube. Yeah. And he's that, getting stalked that- by this off-camera werewolf. And he's like... yeah. I can assure you, this is not the least
1: bit amusing. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and uh, Edgar Wright used that in Hot Fuzz. Oh, <laughs> used that yeah, Because it's so funny. That That is the best shot of the werewolf, too. The yes. shot from the top of the escalator with the werewolf coming into frame and oh, looking dude. intimidating as shit. It's so
0: cool. And I think yeah. it totally preys on all of those childhood fears of looking down into the basement down a dark staircase and wondering what could be at the bottom of it. You know what I mean? Mm. It totally, totally deals with that. And also too, there's something about, I think the fact that he's on an escalator, it kind of gives you that sort of dream feeling like where you're Mm -hmm. running in place. You're not running fast enough to get away from it. Yeah. It's like on this slow moving escalator going up, you're like, he's not going to escape. So, yeah, even stuff like that whether it's intentional or not kind of hits some of those key psychological things that scare the shit out of us man yeah. that scene is really really fantastic
1: yeah and the, the, including the labyrinth tunnels does give it both a dreamlike quality but also intensifies the tension by giving you the idea that he could escape like the more corners he turns the more you're like oh he might get away yeah, or might run and into then, some people that can help him or something. Yeah, but it, it, and then you get the inevitability him falling on the, the escalator and just not being able to to move. Yeah, like where would he go? Even <laughs> he just realizes at that point, like I I have nowhere to go, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I love how that, the movie blends those really scary elements like
0: that. Like I said, with. With the humor, some really smart cinematography in there. Some of the shots mm-hmm. are really inventive and really cool. Special effects yeah. are obviously incredible. I I don't have a ton to complain about about no, this movie. It, it's again, it's one of those that I periodically rewatch, and I'm like, why don't I watch this more often? This is fucking <laughs> great. It <laughs> might be the best werewolf movie ever. I think
1: it's up there, man. I I don't know, I don't know what I would put above it. I, I can't think of one right now that, that I would put above this. No. I I would say for sure that it, it not only is, at the very least, top three, but it did something for horror movies that needed to be done, and that is it put forward the special effects while maintaining a good well-acted story. Like a lot of horror movies have one or the other leading up to this. They have really cool special effects, but the story is just bleh. Yeah. yeah, nothing. Or the story is really good, but like not a lot happens. It's a lot of those who done it movies of late 70s and early 80s where the effects aren't really the thing. It's more about like figuring out who's the killer. This movie was able to combine a good compelling story and these amazing special effects shown in bright, bright light where you can really just really take it in. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I so I, I think it, it becomes like a, a landmark movie uh, in horror also. So it, it's one of the, it's one up there. One of the better horror movies ever made. I think so, man. What are you going to rate this thing? I, I mean, as I said, I don't have any complaints. It, it, 10. Like what, what would I complain about? Throwing um, that thing a dime. Yeah, he gets it because like I don't, I don't think there's anything in here I, other than maybe the line uh, that uh, implies a rape that I would change. I wouldn't mind seeing some of the gore
0: and stuff that got cut. I guess apparently there were <laughs> yeah. some really grisly scenes of him like destroying those yeah. those bombs yeah. out out there that one night. Yeah. I would have liked to have
1: seen that because you know it looked amazing. I bet it did. Yeah, one of those bums, bums was born in 1902. <laughs> that is a
0: long yeah. time ago. <laughs> like he was, he
1: was in his 70s when they they made this. Yeah, it's Jesus.
0: crazy. Damn, dude. Yeah, so I think that's about the only thing I could complain about, and obviously that's not the fault of the filmmakers, just because. If they hadn't cut that, this movie wouldn't have gotten out there, you know, so they kind of had to. Honestly, it's pretty shocking to think about the stuff they got away with because this is not too far off from the Video nasties age, right? No,
1: it's not. And they were, they, like, this, they got to shoot in Piccadilly Circus. It was the first movie to shoot there in 15 years. Jeez. And the way they did that was John Landis, like. Whenever Blues Brothers was coming out, he was, as I said, he had been trying to make this movie for a while. He took it and showed it to the Metropolitan Police in London as a pre-screening to convince them to let him shoot in Piccadilly Circus. So he was already prepared to make American Werewolf in London before Blues Brothers came out in theater. Damn, dude. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. I I think, yeah, there's nothing to complain about with this movie. Honestly, yeah. it, I it's think just for, awesome. For me, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say
0: it's a nine. I'm not gonna say nine. it's a ten, like it's one that <laughs> nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's one of those ones that like I'm like I'll watch it again tonight. I can't wait to see it again. Right. I try to reserve those dimes for stuff that I like, just absolutely can't wait to see again. This one I'm gonna say is a solid nine, which is way beyond any other werewolf movie I think that we've done. So yeah, this yeah. one is still the reigning Probably. champ of of lycanthrope pictures. Mm-hmm totally totally great man now steve next week on the show i say that we should cover something that we know that everybody can just go online and and rent there's all kinds of rentals and stuff that are popping up now like crazy of newer flicks. everybody's stuck inside they probably yeah. want to see some flicks that they've not seen a million times already so well, maybe we we'll yeah. hit them with something recent what do you think we should do ready or not i am tell me about it what movie are we gonna do all right, we're going to do a movie called Ready or Not. Uh, yes. Tell me which one.
1: What movie is it? The title of the movie, Ready or Not. Yeah. Who's on first?
0: <laughs> I look forward to watching this movie because I have yeah. heard nothing but Dude, good about it. Like, I know people that aren't horror fans that love this, I know horror yeah. fans that love this.
1: Yep. It's really got- stoked to watch it. So much going for it. I I've uh, watched it by myself, watched it again by myself, and recently watched it with my wife. And that wasn't even in preparation for the podcast. That was just because I really enjoyed it that much. Damn, so, dude. Hope you like it. Awesome. <laughs> Actually, I hope you hate it. <laughs> that would be a
0: very interesting episode. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, you guys be sure to tune in for that one. Uh, until next week, you guys can go on iTunes, rate and review. It makes a big old damn difference. To us. Seriously, mm-hmm. I've not seen like... Nearly enough new reviews popping up the past couple weeks. So please go in there, rate and review on iTunes. It just takes a second. It really helps us out a ton. And at the end of your review, be sure to submit a question that you want us to answer on a later FAQ that we'll do during the preview palace. Question no. about anything you want to. Just put it there at the end of your review. We'll read them. We'll get to them. You guys can also follow us on all the social medias.
1: Yeah, at Dead and Lovely, lovely Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we, we, Slash dead and lovely on Facebook, YouTube. We got a Discord. Most important, we got a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Ooh Head ma. over there. If you become a $5 patron, you can submit a movie that we may cover in the future, just like this movie today. Mike Travisano and several other people had recommended this movie, and we randomly drew it and did it. That's right. This
0: episode has been brought to you by by the Patreon elite who are supporting mm-hmm. at the five dollar a month level. Really, really appreciate it. So you guys be sure to go there and check it out and sign
1: up to diggity day. I have one announcement. Tell me, are you ready for this? Yeah, ben, I'm, I didn't I'm ready. even tell you. Oh shit! The Friday after this comes out, so two days after this episode comes out, I will be posting the preview episode for my. Brand new horror history podcast. You'll get to find out what the title is. Oh, shit. Here's the thing. I'll be posting it on Podbean and then submitting it to iTunes. It may take a few days to get up on iTunes. I'll post the Podbean link and we'll go from there.
0: Awesome, dude. I cannot wait to check it out. Uh, what if you go on there and like, you know, you'd start checking out the reviews and stuff for the show after it comes out. And you get one that's like, this thing fucking sucks. I'm on a <laughs> I'm on a podcast with this guy, and I can't believe how bad he blew it. And then you'll confront wow. me about it. I'll be like, that wasn't me. Wasn't me. It must have me. Must have been wasn't me. Andy. It was Andy <laughs> Wood. Exactly. Or Lindsay. Or my yeah. wife or your wife. Those are the only <laughs> other people who've been on the podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm very excited about that, man. Uh, and yeah, that will be a great thing to scope out. Get another little secondary dose of Hollywood Hell Steve yeah. every week. I'm excited. Everybody wants some. Everybody wants a little bit of extra everybody Steve. Everybody wants to. <laughs> I love that song. That's a great song. <laughs> well, you guys be sure to stick around for those things coming at you next week. Hope everybody is staying healthy, wealthy, and wise. We've been <laughs> Uncle Ben. Hollywood Steve. And you guys have been Dead and Lovely. We'll be catching you guys next time.
1: Wash your hands and yes. <laughs> Bye.
0: Bye. All right, Steve, I've got some things I want to run by you right here. Run them by. Because everybody, of course, knows how adept we are with our British accents and British slang. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, we're very, yes. I want to run some things by here and see if you can guess what these must-know, cockney-rhyming slang phrases mean. Oh, it's going to be a real puzzle, wouldn't it? Oh, let me get a butchers at (laughs) them. Butchers? What is that now? Uh, Like a look. <laughs> Why <laughs> <laughs> Alright let's start off with one that's obvious to us here Okay Are you making Barney Rubble again What's trouble. the meaning of Barney Rubble
1: trouble. Exactly yeah. yeah Rubble Trouble It's yeah, pretty yeah. easy to see Cockney the rhyming slang Is that what we're doing Yeah that's right You okay. gotta guess what the phrase is Okay
0: Oi look who's on TV It's the baked bean isn't it The, ba- the queen that that's right. You have got right. you two for two.
1: So All far, so right. good here.
0: <laughs> oh, let's take a quick baker's hook. A, a baker's oh. hook. Is that a look? That's damn, Steve. You're knocking these out of the fucking park here. Let's take a quick look. You're right. All right. This is a this is a tough one right here. We set for a while and had a good old rabbit and pork. A rabbit and pork. Now this one's a stretch. I don't really a understand talk? why. That's incredibly accurate yeah is that it that's right i don't know how you know that but
1: yeah well i was just thinking of like in, in cockney pork and talk would probably basically be a, a slant rhyme pork <laughs> Talk, yeah but what's the rabbit have to do with it uh that's the part that's the the bit is that you only pay attention to the last syllable in cockney rhyming slang Oh like, oh okay, like, uh, oh, okay, I, gotcha. I, I know about this because they uh they talked about it on how did this get made when they did uh what's that Jason Statham movie crank? Oh, right, he yeah. does some cockney rhyming slang in it, and in it he says, "Give me the strawberry tart, which means his heart because they, ta- they take they take his heart in the second one, yeah.
0: <laughs> God, that's so stupid. that's so stupid, man. <laughs> All right, I just want to, I'm to toss one or two more at you if you can continue your streak. You're killing it so far. All right. Oi, Steve. I need to go to the shopping mall and get some more Pirates of Penzance. Pants, man. That's easy. <laughs> okay, that was an easy one right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you at Sound? What's ringing? Is it the
1: dog and bone? The phone.
0: Man, I think that you could just go to to England to just br- blend right in. Oh, you yeah. a regular dead and lobster. Definitely yourself.
1: sure. <laughs>